0: Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissected and discussed the hit web serial Worm week by week, arc by arc. I am your host and guy who read Worm, Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, other guy who read Worm, Scott.
1: Matt, we're we're equals now. We're, we're peers. There's no more demeaning introductions of me, no more forcing me to sing or calling me your homunculus or something else. Finally, Matt, we are... The same.
0: Mm-hmm. Scott, uh, read the next part of the script now.
1: Yes, sir. This is the podcast where you guided me through Wildbo's world of superheroes, supervillains, and everything in between, as we inspected, interpreted, and even speculated on what this story was and where it was going. This week on the podcast, we're we're done. We're at the end, and yeah. it's mailbag time. the the final The final mailbag of Worm here on the uh, the first week. Of the new year. So, new year ending a podcast. Kind of sad, but also as a whole cut kind of happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of got some Lord of the Rings type beginnings and endings <laughs> shit going on there. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, we're going to, we're going to answer all your questions. We're going to go through, um, your, your words of God. I think. We got a bunch of recommendations from you on which ones we should read. Matt himself also curated a list for me. Um, so we're going to discuss those as we go through the questions. Um, you guys asked questions, you know, ranging the, the gamut. Um, we had worm specific questions, a few questions on Ward and what I think it's going to be. And then we got just some of our general questions on, on us and things we like and podcasting and all that stuff. So, uh, we got a lot of them. We're going to get through as many as we can. As always, we'll say, if we didn't get to your question, we're sorry. There's just, especially on this one, there were a lot of them and some of you guys asked very similar questions. So in those cases, we didn't want to repeat the question. Um, but, but yeah, we, I think we we got a a pretty good selection of questions here. So, and we're going to get through a lot of them. So I'm excited. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And we're not doing like a, a questions section and a word of God section specifically. It's, it's more like, um, a lot of you had word of God questions in your, you know, in, in your questions, and then I'm just going to kind of throw mine in, uh, and and you'll just you'll get all that in one big dose. Yeah, I think of goodness.
1: I think that's the best way to do it. Um, and and we've you and I have talked about the 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 whole idea around words of God, and I understand why people like this so much, and I think it's great that Wildbow is so uh interactive with his community and he, he he wrote this thing he built this community and he interacts with it every single day and i think that's really wonderful um i don't want to get too into the weeds of some of this stuff where we're like sitting down and analyzing every little thing he said for the past two years about every character um we picked out ones that are interesting there's some that are super interesting for me to read but i don't have any like commentary on it other than that was neat <laughs> that was cool um, so there's nothing really to, to discuss on a podcast. Um, but yeah. I think we're going to go through the ones that, that breed discussion, that fill in some blanks, that that maybe close out some of my speculations, um, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this concept of, of Word of God quite a bit because I, I do enjoy knowing some of this information and, and knowing about the creative process that went into creating this story. But for me, like where, where my interest is personally, it, it has a lot to do with how the narrative was told and and like extra story information while it can be really fun is not really connected to how the story was told because it's outside the story and there's a reason it wasn't in the story usually yeah Um, i completely agree so so yeah that's that's why there there was you know more than a handful of instances where i kind of refrained from mentioning a word of god that i happen to know that i could have mentioned in the moment when we were going through the story, because I was like, you know, the, the that's not the time to talk about this because it, it, it is not revealed in the story. And, and I want to understand the story as it's being told and what went into that and be, be in that world. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah com- I,
1: I completely agree. I, I and I, I like, it's a little different with this a little bit like, cause it, w- with a published book that's on a shelf somewhere, um, that's been through, you know, 20 different editing passes, that kind of stuff. That's Every word on that page is a word that the author wanted there. And if it's not there, it's because it didn't need to be there. This is a little bit different because Wildbo is is going back and re-editing things. So a lot of these things we talk about might possibly make their way into the story one day. But from our approach of analyzing this thing as a finished work, we had to just take what was on the page and what we could see and what what was published, I guess connecting to that narrative so yeah these things are are fun but they are extemporaneous they are separate
0: yeah yeah right so yeah i think without further ado we can get into the uh the mailbag questions um before we do that i want to mention that uh you should listen through to the end of this episode and not uh tune out when we get to the outro um just just trust us there
1: mysterious
0: mysterious that's right which you have all been doing the whole time. You've yeah. been listening through yeah. at the end the whole time. I mean, who, I, would,
1: I, who would not do that?
0: Yeah. I'm sure none of our loyal <laughs> listeners.
1: No. Yeah. No, it would never happen.
0: No. All right. So, uh, first question from, and you're all going to have to bear with me on the pronunciations as usual. Marquis. Fathom, Fathom Atlas. Yeah, Marquis. Yeah. <laughs> F- from Fathom Atlas. Uh, what... Uh, What do you think about the Brockton Bay Wards and their arcs over the course of the story?
1: Yeah, so I this is a great question to start with because I like this a lot. And I think the Brockton Bay Wards are interesting because they're never, besides that one arc we get with them, they're never really the focus of the story. They're there. We see them. We kind of see the things that they're going through. But it's it's always kind of in the background. Um, But we kind of see what it's like to be a young hero in this world through them specifically like everything they go through the the trials and tribulations the, the the terrible stuff that vista has to go through the way that that clockblocker is destroyed by this world um kid win who who finds his place and then dies rather unceremoniously it's kind of this this window into what everyday life for just hero on the hero team looks like
0: yeah yeah i think that's where a lot of the tragedy enters the story because without the focus on the Brockton Bay wards and the other heroes to different degrees, you could sort of take, you could get sucked into a view of like, this is just all darker shades of gray fighting, even darker shades of gray. You've got, you know, uh, you know, the travelers and the undersiders versus the nine and, and basically just like violence and, and uh, you know, negative sum contest between these, variously bad people, some of which are, are less bad than others, but they yeah. all seem pretty bad. But the, the wards were actually like kids who were trying to like do good and do the right thing. And you, and all for different, believable, understandable reasons. And like you said, um, this is a really harsh world. And, and it, it did not, you know, this was not like this was not the kind of superhero, you know, story that ends with like a big happy music swell as the hero you know, flies toward the camera and, and, uh, and the credits roll, it, 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 there, there was no, there were no breaks cut for the Brockton Bay wards. So I think that was a kind of exemplifies what the difference between what this story is and what other superhero stories are.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's cool to see them as a reflection of a, a potential end road for Taylor, right? That, that if, this was kind of always Taylor's goal that she was going to, even even when she joined the villains at first, it was just to bide her time and then join the wards and she was going to be on the to Bay team. And this this is a potential future for her. And we see that even that is not a good one. Even that is really just as dangerous and tragic as everything else in this world. And I, I, think, I think it is a good reflection of that. So yeah, yeah. I, I really cool. liked all their stories a lot. Yeah, me too. Kidwin yeah. is still a loser, but <laughs> but yeah. he he did good. You did yeah. good, buddy.
0: He, yeah. He did his best. This next question from Aquamarius. Um so so this so by the way, I'm going to be paraphrasing these questions. I'm not going to be reading them out loud cuz that would take hours.
1: Yeah, they're very um, some of them are very long.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this this person asks, they point out what it, essentially a, a candidate for a 3 beat we have in 14.8, we have bone saw pretending to be Tattletale in the Agnosia cloud um, saying, you know, I, I've kept way too many secrets from, for someone who calls herself Tattletale. And then in 15.4, we have Tattletale refusing to elaborate on the Noel situation to Taylor. Um, and Taylor says, you know, for someone who calls herself Tattletale, you're way too fun of keeping secrets, which is parallels what Bonesaw said. Uh, and then in 19.1, one of the Skitter clones tells Tattletale, um, basically in a very angry and accusatory way, like you're keeping secrets from me even at the best of times, even when you knew what I'd gone through. And and so it's interesting how this, um, this person's pointing out that this basically kind of almost like a barb that bone saw put in, uh, when she was pretending to be Telltale is kind of like translated deep into Taylor's psyche and manifested itself out through the clone. And it does, I mean, it, it, it seems like a three beat to me, or, or at least, or at least it's, it's, as an, it's an intentional bit of structuring. What do you think, Scott?
1: Yeah, it absolutely could be. The, the, um, realist in me sees this and, and it strikes me as a type of thing that might have just been Wildbo inadvertently reusing a phrase that he likes. Like he likes the idea of the phrase, you keep too many secrets for someone who calls themselves Title Tale. And it might just be he liked that. Grouping of words a lot. And as someone who's gone back and listened to myself throughout the the course of this podcast, repeat points that I've made almost verbatim without remembering it over and over again. I could see that being something that he could have possibly done. Um, on the other hand, it absolutely makes sense that this could be a structured three beat that Bonesaw put this in, in her head and she kind of reflected on it. And then, that, yeah, it manifested itself out through her clone. And I like that. I like and and I think that's the cool thing about writing, Matt, that even if this is just while Bo really liked this phrase and just happened to use it a lot, it's here. It's still here and it is a structured three beat. And you can take that as that and you can you can use that interpretation and you can say that, yes, this is what I think happened. And it might not be intended, but it's there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think a lot of writing, particularly when you're getting into a character's head, ends up being subconscious. It, it's almost like a kind of acting where, you know, you don't have the processing power to precisely control every detail. Right. Uh, you, you're you're offloading a lot of that to your kind of human person simulating software, um, and and a lot of that I think is subconscious. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've definitely. Th- while those pulled off more intricate um, three beats and, and other plot structures than this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really cool either way, like you said. Yeah. Okay, so next question from Reg Vlas. Who was Valkyrie making eyes at in the security footage when it, you know, uh, so basically says Valkyrie was trying not to look like she was paying too much attention to this young man in a white bodysuit. Um so what's going on here Scott?
1: Well I think so the 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 word of god on this is that the guy in the white bodysuit has red hair, right? That's something that yeah. Wildbow added afterwards. So that seems to be a not so subtle indication that maybe she brought Dennis back to life. We we left Valkyrie um toying with this idea that maybe she could put her um spirits inside creations made by Nilbog and thus bring them back to life um so maybe that's what we're hinting at here um i don't know how much i i like that (laughs) i mean uh i I, like and and especially considering there's a sequel like if if there was not a sequel to worm if this was just a fun little easter egg we left the story with then i think that would be fine but because we're in a sequel or moving forward, and I'm assuming Valkyrie will be a uh, relatively important, if not extremely important character in the story going forward. Um, I would hate to see us kind of just use this as a reverse on every death (laughs) that happened in the previous story, you know?
0: Yeah, right. I feel pretty identically, I think. I mean, yeah, because before I kind of knew that Worm was going to have a sequel, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's, that's neat. Um, and, and then I just kind of didn't think about it much more, but then you start thinking about the implications of it in terms of like, oh, we're going to see these characters again. Is this going to undermine the really impactful deaths that we got for, you know, Clock Blocker is probably the one of my number one ones where where I was like, one of the things that makes the story feel real is that a character as important as clock blocker is killed off screen, basically. Yeah. Um, so
1: well and it it feels and I don't want to say this it feels kind of fan servicey to me um because like and I think that's okay because it's in a statement that Wildbow made extra textually it's not in yeah. the book so but the only reason like the only reason for the first person that Valkyrie to have brought back is Dennis is because we the fans like Clockblocker so much so yeah. like it, it there it, there's no in universe, reason for that. So it feels to me like this at, at one point could have just been a fun thing, just a, a fun bone to throw to people. Like, hey, look at this. This could possibly have been the guy you all love. And I don't. I don't know. I.
0: Yeah. Right. And that that that's one thing about Word of God is like I have no problem. But like it's one thing to say. I want to make sure I say this right. Like it's one thing. For Rowling to come out and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, Dumbledore was gay. Like, because that's like that doesn't really have anything to do with the story and doesn't matter. Really. Right. Like, like it does. It doesn't change anything. Um, and, and there's a lot of word of God where it doesn't change anything. And then there's word of God where it does change something. And you, like you go back and you say, like, oh, this person was lying about this. Yeah. That, like canonically it's like oh well that wasn't in the texts, and now i have to rethink all kinds of motivations and stuff like that um in terms of why events happened and i th- there's th- the problem is there's not really like a bright line between these things because you could very no, well yeah. say oh double, double double door being gay did change things it changed certain motivations it's like yeah but i think you know what i mean there's there's a spectrum definitely um, yeah yeah
1: no yeah i I think you're right i think that this is this is where it's complicated and this is where these things get this is our first word of god question we're already on this this idea that this is kind of nebulous and we're in this weird area where like how much does this matter how much does it not and and like i said the only reason i think this matters is because we are not done with this world yet we are going back into this world and if we've just done this and created something in this world i i worry what that means going forward yeah. How it does it recontextualize and how it does change a lot of what we just saw. Because I mean, Brian died on that oil rig when she was around. And so are we going to bring Brian back to like, did she take his, his shard? Like what? I, I like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll just have to see. All right. Next question from Seer Graug. Whose character arc in the story most surprised you? I. Right and uh and which one did you feel sorry i really messed that up (laughs) yeah we're rusty it's been
1: two whole weeks since we podcasted
0: i know i really forgot how to do this whose character arc and story surprised you the most and which one did you did you feel you most expected whose arc was the most satisfying to you and whose was the least uh you want me to go first yeah
1: okay Um, I think I've said this before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. Um, imps surprised me the most, um, and I think it's just because, like Imp herself, uh, she just kind of sneaks up on you, and you don't you don't realize the transformation that this character is going through is is pretty masked at first. And It's not until really after the time jump that you really start to see the things that she's becoming and the, and the things that she's doing, and you, you find yourself suddenly caring about her in this way that you didn't think before. Um, she was always kind of outside the central group in my head because she was a late joiner, um, similar to, 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 to Parian and, and Foil. Um, but then suddenly you just find yourself caring about her so much. And that just, it, I did not expect that to be how things went down. And I was really, I was really happy about it because I like Aisha a lot and I like her arc and I like the journey she goes through. I just, I, I, the, when the character was introduced, you, I could, you could have said, a million dollars if you guess if this character' gonna be important, and I never would have done it yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, um in terms of most surprising i i, I definitely feel similarly about imp um I, I think uh uh Colin you know defiant would be one for me because of how you know again, like you just said if, if you if you told me. This character, you know, as he's represented toward the beginning, turns into this guy later on. Oh, and by the way, it feels really organic and earned. Like, th- that's the part that's harder to swallow, y- usually, is yeah. like, people try all kinds of, of really unbelievable character, uh, uh, you know, changes when the plot calls for it. Like, oh, this guy needs to become evil now, so they just start <laughs> doing bad things. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't, that's difficult to pull off in a way that feels earned, and, and you're like, yeah, I... I buy that. In fact, if I were in that situation, I would, I would act that way. And, um, defiance really did, you know, one of the cool, one, like one of my favorite moments, one of my big, like fist fist pump moments is when, is when defiant is the one at the switch, you know, to, to kill scion. And it's like, yeah, that was, that was earned.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that's a good, that's a good answer too. Um, most expected, I'm going to say Rachel here. Um, because I think I think the thing about Rachel's arc and we've talked glowingly about this thing basically <laughs> through the second half of this entire book. Um, but I think Rachel's arc is very standard. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, she goes from this like gruff, angry loner to a person that learns to be around and trust people again. And that's, that's a very um uh, traveled arc in the world of fiction, but like I said last time, I think this is a textbook example of exactly how to do that arc right and how how to make it feel earned, as you said, and how to make it feel satisfying and how you're along for the ride the entire way. So I saw this coming. I think I think one of the first things I guessed in in one of our first uh, episodes where we did speculations was that 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 Rachel and Taylor were going to become really good friends by the end of the story. And of course, I was right. Um, so I expected it, but that didn't make it any less satisfying and any less beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a a answer in my hip pocket for, for the, for the most expected. Um, I, I I don't know if I, yeah, I think because of the way I read this story, I was not in a mode of forecasting things and also like fairly early on. Yeah, I guess I should say this because yeah, th- th- this is an interesting, you know, thing. I think, like, the story kept throwing me for a loop so many times toward toward the beginning that I just gave up on predicting it. Um, which is silly <laughs> because because you've been so successful at it. But like, I would I would be certain that like, oh, she she's gonna she's gonna shack up with Brian in in this chapter or this next chapter or whatever. And then Brian, like, rebuffed her and was like, I think of you as a sister. And I was like, oh, you know, and, and, <laughs> yep. and I was like, 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 that's just one example toward the beginning of the story where I was, one, I kind of realized how, I, how invested I was in the characters. Mm-hmm. And two, realize that, like, this author was going to stay one step ahead of me in terms of the dynamics of the characters. So, um, and yeah, I was just reading hecka fast. So I, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't didn't really didn't really get to a point where I was like, Oh yeah, this, this is going to go this way. Um, I, I, you know, if, if I thought about it maybe, but I didn't think about it. That's
1: really funny because there's a, there's a post that was made in the thread today by a guy, um, who decided to come to the warm their parahuman human subreddit and ask people when the book gets good, which is a dumb thing to do because <laughs> everyone there is going to say uh, the first page. Cause yeah. obviously they like, worm or they wouldn't be hanging out in the subreddit but anyway um his comments was about how this seems very standard ya fiction and like it's very obvious that brian's going to be the love interest and i was just like chuckling because <laughs> all these things are are subverted in very yeah. shocking ways going forward right. into the story did
0: anyone did anyone meme uh, amazing everything you just said is wrong <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's my favorite last jedi quote um, yeah right no, I don't think they did, but, but maybe I'll, I'll jump in there after this and do that. But yeah, um, I, I think you're right that, that, you know, generally the, the beginning of the story is setting up what maybe on the surface appears to be this very standard kind of YA story. And then it, it definitely shifts rather dramatically. So it makes, um, predicting arcs difficult. And I think, I think the thing you'll, you'll notice if you look back at my speculations, except for one or two times, I'm very like mute on broad, overarching story moves because it yeah. really wasn't until maybe arc 26 that I finally like realized what <laughs> what the story, what the overarching story was going to be. And I think that's because worm kind of uh, zigs and zags and, and you don't necessarily see where it's going at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I agree completely with that. That's um It, it shifts. Footing So many times and even shifts genre as we talked about that yeah. as we kind of as we went um, And you know, you definitely you definitely don't expect the slaughterhouse nine arc When you're when you're in the first, you know, three or four arcs You, no. you, you can't see that coming at all. You, no. it, it seems like a completely different story I still remember so. that
1: first chapter um, that was in the uh, the wards um, Arc where we yeah. see them uh, having left the dead the dead burned people Hung up and yeah. displayed, and I was like, "Shit, we're we're yeah. do, we're doing something else now." And that yeah. was that was after the huge Leviathan battle that I was like, "There's fucking kaiju in this story now." So yeah, it it, it definitely definitely always is surprising. So um, yeah, I think we got completely yeah. off topic of that question, but
0: it was yeah, fine. That's fine. That's the point of these. It's, it's like we're doing a live Reddit thread <laughs> post. <laughs> right. So the next one is from. S- slasher 17 uh, and this person is basically just telling us to go look at the worm memes on TV tropes I did we did, I did they that were, they're, they're funny they're very, funny. They're very so, funny so just just kind of I guess this counts as trivia like one of the first you kind know, of initial big sources of traffic to worm was some good Samaritan going on TV tropes and making a really thorough I don't know how to say it exactly that basically littering worm references throughout all of the tropes <laughs> and, and, and people have been following those links to worm and, and that apparently led a lot of early readers. Um, I don't know. I don't know in the aggregate what that actually came to, but um, that's I pretty that awesome because yeah.
1: yeah, that's one of the things I wonder we, we were not in on this thing from the ground floor and I, I mean you, I think you, it was already done when you found it, right? Like you did. not Yeah. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, like, how did this grow to the point where it is? And it's, I think, it's got it's got a, a very high ceiling that it hasn't even gotten to yet. But you always wonder how the thing gets to where it is because yeah. we basically relied on this community that already existed to funnel the growth in our show. And but we weren't there to see how that grew that grew initially. So it's cool to see that someone, just one or two people, deciding to do this, led to something. That's cool.
0: Yeah, that was a big one, and uh, Ilja Zaryudkovsky of the rationalist community putting a pretty pretty uh convincing plug on, on this being a good story uh was another thing that happened to lead a lot of people who happened to have the mentality that would appeal uh that, that the story would appeal to um god that was a terrible sentence we're out of practice <laughs> um
1: it's all staying in
0: yeah this all is right. good
1: because we'll be ready when we get to ward
0: yep this <laughs> will be all sharpened up, yep, yep, all right Abyssinim. Abyssinim. oh I like that that's good uh, s- says um basically this person points out two word of gods uh which are basically what if word of gods, and I don't so my idea here was I didn't want to go into super deep detail on on these. I just kind of wanted to talk about this idea of what if word of God, so one of them I think was uh this idea of like, what if Leviathan had hit? I think it was Florida instead of Brockton Bay, yes. and one of them, one of them, I think was, uh, uh what if Amy had joined the Undersiders? Yeah, think. and
1: there's there's also a what if um, there was no PRT. I think there's a there's a what if no cauldron as well.
0: That, yeah,
1: that I read. Um, yeah, yeah, these are all super interesting, and and like you said, I th- there's not too much to go into discussion wise. I think the coolest thing about these is it shows. Like, the reason why, one of the reasons why this story is good is because Wildbow has such a good grasp on world building. And I think these what ifs show that because he has such a good handle on the world and the characters that he can spout out oh, um, this little thing changes and he feels the ripples because he knows the characters and he knows how the characters are going to react to that. He knows how that's going to change this. He he has a, such a good grasp of his world that it, all the stuff can be can be created by him rather quickly and feels like it fits within the same world and the same story.
0: Yeah, right. It's like it almost doesn't matter what happens with the characters because he puts character so – so front and center that their reaction is going to be authentic and is going to be satisfying regardless of what happens in the story. Almost. Yeah,
1: yeah my favorite part of the Leviathan one um, was how Armsmaster changed because he didn't go kind of all out into his plan because it wasn't his home city and he couldn't predict the villains as well. Um, So he stayed in the Protectorate and was like honored and and an honored part of the Protectorate and never freed Dragon and and all these things change because of that, and it's all within character because he never had his low point moment. And because he never had his low point moment, he could never go on this journey of discovery. And that makes total sense. And that's why like you see that this, that like you see that it it's not that it had to happen that way, but it's just, I'm so thankful it did.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's funny. What's funny to me is like, I have I have so much confidence in Wildbow at this point that like I really believe that it would have been like just as satisfying if it had gone a different way, um, like, yeah, okay. like kind of like you said, it's like it's weird to say because I'm like, well, I don't actually want it to be any different than it was because it was so great, um, but like uh, you could have thrown any kind of wrench into the story and he would have like, you know, done a 1080 and landed it. So um,
1: yeah, 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 and I think the other one there is just. Um I didn't read all of these cuz they're like really long <laughs> but yeah. um he he linked a bunch of his early worm drafts and I think that I think this again like I I guess from from what I gathered what from you and other people have told me that at one point in time worm was not the story of Taylor worm worm was going to be parahumans which was just separate stories of people in this world and the things that they went through and the, the trials and tribulations of being a superhero in this world. And I think that's cool because again, it, it goes back to this idea of world building that because when Wildbow was structuring this world, it wasn't all about Taylor yet. He built all these things and he built all these characters and he built all, all these places and, and, and structures that make it, make it feel real and make it feel lived in and not just a thing that exists for Taylor's benefit.
0: Yeah. Right. For Taylor's
1: story's benefit, not Taylor specifically, because none of this exists for Taylor's benefit, but um, yeah, yeah, that's what it's. So I think that that ties into that.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the, I don't think, I don't think I pulled out any of these to talk about because they're, they're kind of the the type where you're just like, Oh, that's cool. Um, but there's a lot of word of gods where it's like, Oh, this is this one birdcage cape, that is mentioned twice. This is her whole backstory. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's awesome. Like that's creative and fun and and yeah. cool. And uh that's all I can say really. <laughs> but uh but, but 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 yeah it's like it's it's really clear that this whole you know background world has been fleshed out. I think I think Wildbow actually made a comment somewhere that like people people's thinking when they're talking and and writing and thinking about the story tends to be too Taylor centric because it's a, it's told from her point of view, but like I think the way he thinks of the story is not Taylor centric. I think it just happens to be that Taylor is the protagonist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I, I think at the end of the day, I think this is her story, but yeah, I mean, I, she's, she's one piece in a large world.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, next we have what are your favorite moments, scenes, interludes uh, that recontextualize past (laughs) events? What are the best written? What are the best executed? What are the best oh shit moments, um, et cetera? Basically just an opportunity for us to kind of pick out uh, badass moments, I guess.
1: Okay, I can do that. Um, My recontextualization, um, I, I, I almost put Bonesaw in here. Um, and I think Bonesaw's interlude is, is wonderful and probably what you're going to say. But, um, I really liked everything with Emma. I really liked how learning about Emma and learning about what Emma went through recontextualized her entire relationship with Taylor and the entire first, uh, you know, inciting incident of the book was, was suddenly. Kind of overturned and laid bare, and and I just thought that was really wonderfully done, and it comes at almost a perfect time in the story when you you're so far removed from Taylor as high school student suffering from bullying um, that it's it's become just like a, a taken for granted and a given that this was her past, and then suddenly it's like nope, actually um, you have to understand a little bit more about why all this happened, and I think that's just so brilliantly done.
0: Yeah, um, in terms of recontextualization, like. Uh, I can flip through literally a half a dozen characters and, and view their, their interludes as being recontextualizations because like uh, you you know, you already mentioned um, well, so, so like imp um, um, regent Rachel, I mean, interestingly, all all three undersiders (laughs) off the top of my head, they're, they're characters where you kind of thought you knew what was going on with them until you saw from inside their head right and you realized that you were wrong about them in some fairly substantial ways although it, it it's not like anything you learned like contradicted their behavior It was just like oh that is why they're like that right and, and uh um yeah, yeah that's and, and then the other i mean bonesaw was was one of them too obviously yeah
1: yeah i think that, that the interludes that's, I mean, that's the function of the interludes in the story. And and I think it, it ties into the fact that we're in Taylor's point of view and and everything we see is very Taylor-centric because we're seeing the world through her eyes and we're seeing things and people and events the way she sees them. And then we get to step back and we get to jump into somebody else's head, kind of, we're, we're in third person in these interludes, but, um, and we get to see things from their perspective and it changes things and it, and it. I like that a lot because I think not only are we learning more about these characters and, and recontextualizing them, yes, but I think this also serves as like an indication for us, the reader, that like to to not take everything Taylor says as fact, or and, and not and, and and realize that you're you're in her head and you're being influenced by the way she thinks, and I, I think that's a, a a pretty good way of illustrating that, of illustrating the fact that hey. Things are not the always the way Taylor sees them, and always the way Taylor thinks about them,
0: yeah, right. I mean, it kind of kind of reminds me of the cognitive bias of the fundamental attribution error where you know you see a guy who you maybe know slightly, like walk into the break room of the office, like not say hi to you, slam the refrigerator, storm out, and, and you think like, Ah, oh, what an asshole, what an angry person, yeah, and like what you don't realize is like someone just like sideswiped their car and drove off or something. And like anyone would act that way in that situation. Um, yeah. and, and like, that's, that's something we do in real life. And it's something we definitely do in, in stories where we, we impute on the other characters, particularly when we have, when we have a biased point of view character, all sorts of motives that they don't necessarily have. And especially when you're in a wild bull story and all of the characters are imagined complexly, Uh, they're guaranteed not to have simplistic motives.
1: Yeah, yeah, because everyone's going through something. Everyone's going through some shit, and that influences the way they behave. And you can't fully understand that until you see things from their perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, As far as best written, um, you know, it's tough to say, that that to to declare this as not being recency bias, but (laughs) I really do feel like Part of the fun in reading Worm was kind of watching Wild Bow's growth as a writer during the course of it. Um, we talked a few times about how, like, he slowly seemed to be more confident in not only his characters, but how he describes action and how he um, does dialogue and how he, you know, shows things from Taylor's point of view. So I really feel like by the end of the story, um, some of the best writing I saw in Wild was the end and the last two arcs itself, the the epilogue, I think some of, some of the moments in the epilogue are just beautifully written. I think, um, spec that arc is a, a testament to his skill as a writer because he's basically challenging himself here. He's basically setting up a character whose head we've been in the whole time and we have to slowly see her change into something else. And he's got to show us that slowly, but realistically. And I just think it's just so wonderful.
0: Yeah. Um, I definitely loved the ending of the story. I, I I do have to just make like an honorable mention, call out to the Alec interlude. I, I think that was maybe the first time in the story where I was like, this is my favorite. And then I subsequently said that about several more interludes, but the Alec interlude (laughs) is very special because I feel like there's a, a degree of subtlety present that is extremely, um, impressive. And it communicate the the way it's written communicates so much about the character uh, that it's a perfect, it's one of the perfect examples of like the character doesn't really know what's going on with himself, but the writing still manages to convey what's going on under the surface. Yeah. And, and uh, that's like a, master level skill right there yeah
1: that's really hard to do because yeah. you're playing you're doing you're like you're like spinning plates like yeah. you, you there is so much stuff going on you have to construct the scene as it's seen from the character's point of view of the construct the basis of the scene as we can understand then you have to hint at that third layer that These are things happening that he is not aware of, but you need to be aware of, but not totally not to where it's like just completely revealing, but where it's under the surface to where you can see where he's avoiding it. But, um, and, and almost where he might have a little bit of self-realization, but not enough. And it's, yeah, it's really, really, really hard to do.
0: Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of, in terms of the big, Oh shit moments.
1: <laughs> so many.
0: Yeah. Right. I think those are, if, if anything, I think most people are going to agree on what those are. Like, uh, uh, basically anything having to do with, with big cauldron reveals or sign on reveals or like important interludes from, you know, uh, every time, yeah. every
1: time Taylor killed someone, that was my, oh, oh shit moment.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. That's next question. Uh, from koalas dlp what do you think taylor would do differently if given the chance
1: everything no i mean i i think she says it right i think she says in in that final moment in in arc 30 that she would um spend less time propping up the really bad people or or emulating the really bad people and spend time on on the really good people and i think we hinted towards Golem, and, and you said something beautiful about, um, Golem's role as being the person to remember the dead and, and, and she's kind of indicating, maybe not explicitly, but in your head that, that that's, that's the, that's one of the more important things. Yeah. Um, And I think so. I think she would, I, I think the, the Taylor is such a complicated character that this, the things that she does, I don't think a lot of the big desires would change that like her desire to save the world, her desire to um, have friends and find acceptance and all these things would change. But I think uh, I, I don't know if she would latch quite onto this ruling through fear thing that she held onto for, for so long in the first half of the story. Um, I don't think she would probably go that route.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, there's certain aspects of who she is that aren't clear to her until the end even if then like it takes her a really long time to admit that it's important to her that she be powerful and in charge and doing something significant um even though you know throughout the whole story she consistently makes decisions that yeah she would only make if being powerful and in charge were a priority for her um so that's the kind of thing where if she if she knew that when she was starting out she might pay more attention to uh, working on that tendency in herself
1: yeah I think you're right yeah absolutely yeah.
0: all right next one from ember rising uh, so yeah this is a good opportunity for us to discuss the Leviathan dice roll idea <laughs> the thing that everyone wanted me
1: to know <laughs> throughout yeah. the entire story anytime there was a question and answer um, are you are you gonna tell Scott about the the Leviathan dice rolls
0: <laughs> yeah so Sorry, sorry, everyone. Scott knew, Scott about, knew the, about this. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: well, I think I think either either before or just after reading Arc 8. Yes, um, and we just decided that this is one of the many things that we didn't want to talk about because it, it isn't it isn't textual. It's really interesting, and that's why we're going to talk about it now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, Wildbo uh, basically had his character list, and he and he I don't know how he did it exactly, but he rolled dice. Um, to determine who would live and who would die in this fight, out of everyone fighting, and uh, I think I think there was some uh, there there was some wiggle room. Like you know, the, the triumvirate I think probably had some really high you know modifier or ho- however you want to do that um, because it would be it, it would it would kind of strain the story a little bit if you like killed off someone who was depicted as having been in fifty endbringer fights. Mm -hmm. Um, and being invulnerable and so forth Um, but everyone was on the table and in fact my understanding is that Taylor was given like a penalty Taylor was supposed to die and Aegis was supposed to live and be the new protagonist or the new point of view main point of view character however you want to view that and apparently Aegis rolled really poorly and Taylor rolled really well and and so the tail swipe that would have killed Taylor just uh, paralyzed her. Um, and that was uh, that that was history. I, I think I think this is yet another example of this idea of Wildo being able to handle kind of like what ifs because he had the confidence in his story, in his world that he knew he could he could work in pretty much any combination of different characters living and dying and having it still work, which yeah. it sure did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, it shows that this ends up being Taylor's story, but it, that it didn't necessarily have to be. And yeah. I think it, like, it's, it's, it's fun to play these what ifs. And it's, I think that's really cool. And I, I like that he did it that way a lot. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what the story with, with Aegis as the protagonist looks like. I wonder how different, different things are and how different things end, end up. But yeah, I mean, it, it shows confidence. It shows, Um, commitment to the world and to the realism that he's created. Um, And it's really cool. And I understand why everyone wanted me to know about it, because it's this really cool little detail that, yeah, your main character, the one that you love so much, the one that you were so happy at the end of the epilogue that she finally gets some semblance of peace and and maybe, maybe someday a a road to happiness. She could have just died. Just a tail swipe. She could have been dead.
0: Yeah. It would have been more obvious that this was going to be a tragic story if that were the case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, just think of what, just think of what this story's reputation would be if that were the case though. I mean, imagine if it were popular, but it, but this was a story where the character you think of as the protagonist just dies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and eight arcs into the story is not, I mean, it's a 30 arc story. So that's, a pretty significant portion of the story that you think you've, you think you finally started to get into a rhythm and you think the book has finally kind of taught you what it's going to be. And then it, it throws you for a loop there.
0: Yeah. That's I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and I think, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you could talk about it all day, but I think that for now we'll just kind of acknowledge it and say, we think it's cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Next question from uh, another from Ember rising. Uh, so, um, uh, I'm sorry. Wrong question, from Sendatsu Yoshimitsu. Um, basically, yeah. So, so related to, to to the last question, this idea that there's a word of God that, that at different points the travelers in Guts and Glory, aka Panacea and Glory Girl, were going to be more central or, or protagonists of of the story. Um just kind of an opportunity to to address that. I mean, I think it's almost, it's almost clear that the travelers could stand to be a bigger part of the story because he wrote a whole arc that was just the travelers backstory, basically. And I imagine that could have gone, uh, you know, in different directions from there. Yeah. I mean, Uh, that's easy for me to believe.
1: You can see a version of this book where the travelers are our protagonists and, they are our entry point into this world that, that they get tossed into this new world and they have to learn all about it and thus allowing us to learn all about it through them. You can see that's a very, that's a very typical story structure in, in the, the fantasy sci-fi genre. When you're dealing with things that, that we aren't uh, aware of, you usually have characters who are not aware of them either as an entry point. And you can see that happening. You can see the story structured that way. Um, I I think it would have worked great but that's not the way he decided to go with it and that's cool
0: that's a really good point because they they would have come into Brockton Bay and they probably would have met the undersiders, and that would have been very interesting you know Uh, that's that's, that's a fun fun idea I think especially if Krauss were the point of view he's much more unlikable than Taylor actually (laughs)
1: yes just a little bit
0: a little rough but yeah uh, yeah yeah. all right, uh next question from uh Wolf tamer Nine Why didn't the entities fill in the blank for employ some other solution to solve their problem of uh, of basically surviving the ultimate uh, heat death of the universe, if you will rather than you know going the intergalactic omnicide route <laughs> and and I have an answer to this, which is that the entities are slaves to natural selection they don't actually have freedom of action even eden the, the thinker is only really given you know freedom to solve the specific problem laid out for her she's she doesn't have the she would essentially be she would essentially have to like fight her companion if she wa- if she wanted to do anything other than continue the cycle as the cycle has been laid out that that's their life cycle um they're even more slaves to their nature than humans are and, and humans are pretty bad at being slaves to our nature that that's my interpretation of this is that like the entities may be super intelligent but that doesn't mean that they have any incentive or particular desire to um to solve the to to solve the problem in any other way than the way natural selection has kind of led them to
1: yeah and i think that's a very good and reasoned and intelligent response. Um, my response is, cause this is the way that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like I understand, like this is a book that where, where, you know, motivation and understanding is very central to everything. Um, but at a certain point in any kind of narrative, y- you have to just be, able, be willing to accept that it happens this way because it happened this way. And, you know, like I, 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 like, I kind of shudder involuntarily sometimes when I hear these why didn't X do Y questions. Um, not because I think they're bad questions, just because um, I, I don't... Uh, sometimes I just don't know how to answer it other than because that's not the way it happened in this story. And yeah. that's that sometimes that has to just be sufficient.
0: Yeah, particularly when it's science fiction and it's like, look, the whole... I mean, okay, not to get too big picture here, but like someone in one of the threads made the great comment that worm is a reconstruction of the superhero genre, meaning you take the idea of people running around in masks and having superpowered battles and you say, okay, how do I make this actually make sense? And that's what I've, that's like one of the things that I said from the very beginning, I appreciated about worm is that it's like, takes a logical, like really fun science fiction explanation that makes the ridiculousness of superhero genre makes sense. And so like those are your boundary conditions. Your boundary condition is you have to end up with superheroes. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of fighting the purpose of the whole thing. If you say like, well, why didn't they do it a different way? It's like, well, then they wouldn't have ended up with superheroes, which is, which is actually where we were trying to go with that. Right. Right.
1: I mean, like, like it's, it's why sometimes like the word contrived is, Nails on a chalkboard word for me when uh-huh. dealing with narrative and stories because, like, everything is contrived. E- like, yeah. this is a book is a contrived narrative. That's what it is. And you try your best to give uh, character and reason and explanations behind some actions. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's this way because that's the way it needed to be for the story to function um, as as the story that Wild yeah. wanted it to be.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah, you you do your best to make it feel organic. That's all you can really do. All right, next question from Sargon eighty six. From a utilitarian viewpoint, did Cauldron fail because they created Gray Boy? Yes.
1: Yes. 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 (laughs) Short answer: Yes. Um, And that's yeah. That gets into the whole the whole point with this thing with this um, the greater good uh, reasoning behind all this stuff that. Like in your efforts to save the world, you created something so much worse than all that. Like the idea of eternal pain, eternal pain is so much worse for, I mean, not, not, not in the, the large viewpoint, but like for the individual that have to go through eternal pain, that is inexcusable and awful and terrible. And they did that in their efforts to save the world.
0: Right. Like literally billions of years of suffering, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is basically like a, like morally equivalent to snuffing out a planet, basically. I mean, you can make the argument. Yeah. 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 Each time he does it, by yeah. the way. Each just, time.
1: Yeah. Not just, yeah. yeah. Right. H- who knows how many people he did. We, we, I don't know if we get any kind of numbers as to how often he's done that, but, um, it's more than one.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Next question from Cogito three. Do you think Taylor's motivations change throughout the story or do they stay uh, at bottom the same with only uh, manifestations changing?
1: That's a really good question. Um and I think the answer is yes and no. Um I think I think the base motivations that inspired Taylor to summon those spiders and make her costume um led her from page one to page 5000 whatever it is yeah. um I, the, the, those base motivations and that base underlying um trauma and, and and desire yes but but i mean she did change like like her her motivation shifted like the early tail like early taylor is very interested in in finding a place to belong and and Um, a place where she can fit in and, and like getting away from the things that drive her like to misery. And later Taylor is very focused on saving world. So, I mean that there, there is things about her that change. There is motivations that change, but, but I think the, like, like he says that the underlying deep down deep core central trait of her is driving her from, from point one to, to the end.
0: Yeah. I mean, what makes this, great is that Taylor has a very unrealistic level of lack of self awareness for someone her age. So when you say motivation, it's like especially when you're that age, but even for adults, you're rarely aware of your like actual motivations for <laughs> right, why you right. do anything practically. So 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 like the the uncon- like the the core of her that probably only comes out in therapy sessions probably was the same the whole time. But like in terms of her justifications, those changed chapter by chapter, um, and I think it's I think it's good that there's that dichotomy between those two things. That's that's good storytelling, good character. All right, next. Uh, oh, from Starlight at Dusk. What is your favorite unconfirmed theory?
1: Um, I forgot who said it and when, but there was one person who said in the moments before before Scion's death, he like used his path to victory power and, and just asked, how do I make the pain stop? And it, it just told him, you know, don't move, stand still when, when the bolt that foil fires at him hits him. And I kind of, I kind of love that. Yeah. I love that so much.
0: Right. As soon as I saw that, I thought that was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I like any theory that implies that the mysterious third entity, um, Abaddon, is the fan name uh i'm sorry what what
1: was it? i don't think i don't th- think that's the right name oh
0: i'm sorry is it all the berries
1: no it's oops all
0: berries oh uh, oops all berries yeah yeah i'm that's sorry about that
1: it's okay um
0: yeah uh the implication that oops all berries intentionally sabotaged uh fluxter rather than rather than that just being like an accident um that's my favorite theory that is completely unconfirmed
1: yeah that's interesting
0: yeah uh, next story from Calinero nine, eight, five, what death hit you the hardest uh, for me? It was clock blocker, um, because of how it was delivered mainly like, like I, I like Dennis and I like Clockblocker as a character, but like the way you're just like, oh, that's his ghost. And then it like, it, it's, it like takes an extra beat to hit you. And it's just so like, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Regent, for me, um, uh, my, my first answer prior to Epilogue would have been Danny, um, because that really screwed me up. And then it turned out to maybe not be true. I don't know. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> maybe. No, um, but yeah, Regent really, cause I, I like it. It's such a, it's such a wonderful scene and it's such a, like, dramatic, like, holy shit moment. And I just, I don't know, it really, really fucked me up. Because yeah. this is this character that I both liked and hated at the same time.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, next question from Liquid Metal Cobra. Uh, so Liquid Metal Cobra helpfully points out that I have called like four or seven or 11 different arcs my favorite <laughs> arc. And probably said the same thing about... Um, chat individual interludes and chapters um and basically is saying hey so what's your actual favorite arc chapter of (laughs) mine etc um and so my answers are my favorite arc is the traveler's arc i just love this has like a a short story a deep dive into this one other really interesting character um who isn't taylor but you know gets a lot of attention spent on them Uh, my favorite chapter I think is I think I'm think i going to just say it's the region chapter because I just keep going back to that one, uh, the, the region interlude. Uh, my favorite line is either finally everyone was working together or the last few lines of the story. I, I can't really decide between those. Cool.
1: Um, my favorite arc is spec, arc 30. Um, we talked about this before, but it's kind of the culmination of both the story and... I think, Wildbo's skill as a writer. Um, this was really complicated and hard to do in, in in a way that kept it interesting throughout every chapter in the arc, and I thought he, he nailed it. Um, my favorite chapter is... Originally, I wrote down 20.5, the, the cafeteria scene chapter, because I really, really love that, um, but I changed my mind halfway through writing it out, and the chapter that has stuck with me the most throughout my entire time with the story is chapter uh, 6.9, um, when Taylor goes home, starts writing the letter to Miss Militia to explain everything, and then decides to leave her father behind and burn that letter, or, or, or the start of the letter when she writes, I am a supervillain, and then lets that burn. Um, that, has, that image, that scene, has stuck with me throughout this entire thing. Um, I think it is fantastically well written. I think it is um, kind of the culmination of Taylor's arc up until that point. Um, it's, it's tragic, Um, but it's also empowering for her in that moment. Um, and I just love it. I still, I still love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, the reason I keep saying that there's a lot of, like the reason I keep saying, oh, this is my favorite is like, depends on which Matt you're talking to, you know, like, (laughs) like, like the the chapter where she kills Alexandria is my favorite some days, right? Like, do, do I have to be consistent? I I don't know. Never. I don't my my I, favorite
1: I, I movie changes every ten minutes. So no, yeah. you do not have to be consistent. Yeah.
0: Um yeah. So that's that's yeah. my it's my favorites right now. Yeah. Ask me again next week. Yep. Uh so another question from Liquid Metal Cobra, to what extent do you think your experience, uh specifically you, Scott, was affected by reading the story one arc at a time?
1: A whole lot. A whole lot. Um I think you know, it's weird because, like, I read it in not necessarily the way the story was supposed to be read. Because, like, there, there's, I think there's two ways of pe- way that people will find themselves reading this story. Um, either they were with it from the beginning and they read it two chapters a week for two and a half years, right? That's how long it went on. think, think um, so. Or they came in at the end and speed read through everything. And just, like, like you did. And... Yeah. I'm kind of in between those things. Um and I think I think reading it arc by arc really allowed me to see like that to see that each arc was built with structure behind it that that like I think one of the my most favorite things we did throughout the run of this podcast was when we used that first chapter as a as a window into what the theme of the arc was going to be. And in some chapters it's a lot more clear than other ones. Um, But I think that this this structure allowed me to see that there's a reason why we divide things into arcs. Arcs aren't just nebulous, meaningless divisions of things that they have purpose behind them and they have a a connecting event, a connecting theme behind them. And reading it arc by arc allowed me to experience this.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, just to take the most superficial example, like, I didn't spend an iota of thought – on the arc titles when i was reading the first time and it like it's obvious completely obvious in retrospect that every single arc title is is like the thematic you know thesis statement if you will of that arc Mm -hmm. and and it and it binds the whole thing together and then the whole arc is like a, a story right um none of that is obvious if you don't read it you know, paying attention to that and and reading it slowly. And I know I've said this before, but like, this is like this whole podcast is like an accidental gold discovery because I, I love this story. And I was like, this is a really great story. This will be a good project. But I didn't even realize how good the story was. That's so weird to say. Like it, it wasn't until we were, we like, were a few arcs in digging into it. And I was like, Oh shit, this is really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was the one who like, you know, introduced you to it. So it's, it's, it's just, it's funny how all of the stuff that was making me love it was not, I was not consciously aware of it at all. You know, it was yeah, just, yeah. yeah,
1: that's, uh, I think we're going to get into that a little more, but I think that's, that's. What, one of the things that this project has taught me that, like, there, there are reasons why you like a story. There, yeah. there are always reasons why you like something. But it is very difficult a lot of times to really dive down into the structural, the specific reason why it's working for you. And, that is what we tried to do, and as the the deeper we dove, the more we found and I think that is so fundamentally satisfying and I think that's why you guys like listening to this because like you know you like it and and there's a lot of you know a lot of surface level stuff you can point to for why you like something, but when you really dive down into it, you start to see exactly why things work the way they do, and yeah yeah, that was that that the 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 arc by arc structure that we kind of unknowingly stumbled into. Cause we just said, well, why don't we just divide it like this? Cause that makes sense. Um, right. really helped like really helped us understand that and then, and get to the accomplishment of the objectives we set in front of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, last question from liquid metal Cobra. How would you adapt the agnosia fog scene uh, to uh, film medium,
1: yeah, I think we, we we touched on this right after it happened, and I yeah. I thought I thought about it a bit um, in the months after that, um, and, and I think I still think the best way to do it is you keep the the camera centered directly on Taylor, and you make everything like confused and muffled and dark. And you, you kind of just focus on Taylor's face and, and Taylor, like, you make it. Um, did you, people see the movie Mother? Anyone see Mother? Um,
0: I still haven't, but. Okay.
1: Well, in Mother, the camera is like f- fixed on Jennifer Lawrence the entire time. It's, it's different, it's varying closeness, close ups, extreme close ups. Like, even if it's a medium shot, it's a medium where she's in the center of the frame. And like the camera is fixed on her and it's disorienting. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people didn't like that movie because it's just like so disorienting and so many things are happening around her that you can't fully see and understand because you're so fixed on her. And I think that's the way you do it.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. And and I was like my, my, my riff actually on your idea would be like the, the shot is either on Taylor's face as she's talking to people out of frame who, whose voices are distorted or it's behind her head, but the focus is on the back of her head. And the people you see in her field of view are like well out of focus to the extent that you can only sort of see their coloring. Yeah. Um, That would be, and then like you basically just switch between those two. Um, You know, at at most you might get like a distant shot where you can't see any details, but yeah. Yeah. I think you basically, there's all kinds of tricks that you could use to make it not only work, but actually be pretty cool, I think.
1: I mean, one of the things you could also do is just, like, turn into the skit a little bit and just have it be dramatic irony to where the audience knows who these people are, but it's very clear that your main character doesn't, and then a lot of the tension is derived from the fact that we know and she doesn't and seeing how that's going to play out. So you could just admit that it's hard to do and just go into it that way.
0: Right, because basically there's only the one chapter where where you don't, you really don't know it's them. Um, and, and then you, you are fairly suspicious as them all the way to knowing right. it's them pretty, right. pretty quickly after. So, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Um, I like this question. Uh, Tinky forecast asks, when did you know this story was something special? Chapter one?
1: No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, i like, uh, did we ever tell the story of how we decided to do this? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know if we've done no it not. Um we you basically for how many years? 3 years <laughs> had been yeah. telling me, Scott, you should read this book and and bring it up in podcasts every time we talked about anything to do with superheroes. Um and I finally said, "Hey, maybe we could like analyze this book because I had been listening to a lot of podcasts uh, in the same kind of vein that, that really analyze literature. And I thought we had something to say and could do something fun with that. And this seemed like a good project. And you said, read the first arc. And if you like it, we'll do it. Um, and so that's what I did. I went down and I, I read the first arc. I was on an airplane. And then I landed and texted you and said, let's do it. Um So it's not completely false to say that I knew it was something right away. But... I think that the first time it really hit me that this is going to not just be a fun project with a book I enjoy, but something that will stay in my life forever was around my favorite chapter, which is chapter 6.9. Um, yeah. Or the first time that we blew up the two hour mark (laughs) and left that behind when I realized we had so much to say that, that two hours was never going to be achievable.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, yeah i mean i, I think man it's it, it's it's a really fun question to think about like a- answering it is is almost boring compared to just thinking about like yeah. what is the what is the moment and i think like my conclusion after thinking about it for a bit was like different there's different points in the story that that hit you with different degrees of oh this is special like, like a rel like a relatively minor one you could say would be like the the and I think arc five, there's the big, the big villain meeting. And that's the first time for me that I started, that I like realized, Oh, this is getting really complex. And there's all these really interesting characters playing off each other in, and I'm like completely like bought into this story in a way that really rarely happens, you know? And, yeah, there's probably a dozen little points on the way to the point when things go full sci-fi with the travelers and then horror with the nine. And like it's it, the genre shifts are one thing that, that hit you as being like, Oh, this is, this is new. Where are we going with this? Yeah. Um,
1: I, I like that uh, answer yeah. a lot actually. Um, because I think there is, there are moments throughout the entire story that you realize, wow, this is something special. This is something different. This is something great. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. And it, it continues, like, uh, the, the, uh, and, and the, the, the story's continued ability to surprise me, even as we rounded the finish line, like, really, really, are, it sticks in my brain. It really does. Like, the, the first time we had the entity arc, uh, what ended up being Scion's backstory, um, was like this moment of, of serious, like, holy shit. And, yeah that's late in the story and and like you're like this continues to surprise and delight and that is special um yeah. normally especially someone who's and I, I don't want to say this n- negatively or anything but someone who's read as many stories as I have like you you find your ability to like pick up on what the thing is going to do pretty quickly like you're like I know what this is about I know where this is going I know what it's going to do so the ability to surprise is kind of treasured to me, and yeah. and I I just I don't know I, I loved it,
0: right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, like how I bring this up all the time, but like the, 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 or how I used to bring up Worm all the time in, in other in context of other superhero conversations, and like that's because, like, after you've seen it done really well, it's really hard to just forget that and go back to what you see as being a very kind of shallow approach which I mm-hmm. which I feel is how most I mean if you listen to our podcast where we talk about other superhero movies the, the kind of the best thing I'll ever say is like yeah it was really fun which is completely valid in a way of enjoying something but like I'm never gonna say like how oh, it blew my mind because <laughs> it it can't yeah okay Ah, uh, yeah. So next question: uh, What do you think of the deaths of this story? Who do you think uh, had the most tragic death, the most heroic death, the least deserved death, the most emotional death?
1: Um. So for me, the most tragic is my boy, my boy Brian. Um. I, we talked about this a bit when we realized he was good, good and dead. But I think his story is so tragic. Um. It, it doesn't have. There's no clean resolution for him. It's just kind of. Uh, you had a rough life and then this terrible thing happened to you and you were just never really able to get past it. And then you died. The end. And that's rough, but it's also real. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you don't have this nice, clean arc to finding a better version of yourself. Sometimes the world has other plans for you and and that's really tragic. Yeah. Um, How about you?
0: So I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go last because uh minute all all three of mine are the same. So. Oh okay. I'm gonna say yeah. okay.
1: The most heroic then is Regent. Um I loved his death. I loved um how I loved that character change and I love how he got there and I it was just this moment of heroism that I just did not expect to happen and really really hit me.
0: Yeah um, Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one.
1: Least deserved is a tough thing, because I don't, like... I, I, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to answer that, really. Like, I don't know who least deserved to die. I guess, like, is is Dauntless the one that's in the time bubble? Yeah. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I, I didn't... Like, you don't know anything about these. These are very minor bit characters, so it just kind of sucks. So, I guess that...
0: Right. Um, right. That's the thing, is, like... <laughs> So, like, the, the one that always pops out to me is, like, the poor guy who, from his point of view, he's, like, defending his family from monster dogs. And then Rachel comes in and, like, crushes his legs. And then Siberian comes in and, like, stabs him through the eye sockets into oh, his brain.
1: Jesus, yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's, like, that's that's probably the least deserved to me. Um, <laughs> I, I I think, like... I want to talk about Blasto actually, because he had just the most like kicking the puppy tragic, like, like, Oh oh God, just, just let him die.
1: Yeah. Um, And and also
0: like, and also it happened because he he was being heroic. Like he, he had the option of basically standing aside and, and and sort of like chose to try to stand up to bone saw. Um, didn't work out for him, but he tried.
1: Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
0: So that was my most tragic and most heroic.
1: Oh, that's cool. I like that. Um, the most emotional meet for me was Taylor until she wasn't dead anymore. Um, but still, like I, I still think back that that last chapter and and thinking that she actually could be gone, and that was rough, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Like I, I think, I think like after reading that many words and and that like just the the depth of connection you feel to that character you just kind of walk around in a stupor until you until you get some closure on that which can,
1: can confirm that's what i yeah, did
0: <laughs> for, for you that was longer than for most people unfortunately um but uh yeah all right next question uh from green door 65 again uh yeah do you think worm deserves to be labeled as grimdark why or why not
1: and see this is a, another one of our things where we start arguing definitions, right? Yeah. Um, wh- how do you define grimdark? And if you Google it, um, Google says grimdark is particularly violent, dystopian and amoral. And while I agree that worm is certainly violent and certainly dystopian, I don't think worm is an amoral story. In fact, I think morality and how that plays out is kind of at the central about of what the story is about. So by that definition, no. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, like Grimdark. Like I, I know it's supposed to be a Warhammer 40k reference, but like for me, what I always think about is like those really over the top, violent like Batman or like s- saber comics from like the mm-hmm. early 90s, where where the where it was basically like s- like s- snuff comics. Like it's just just like unpleasant, just. the only appeal of it was like, let's see how disgustingly violent we can make this. And that's, it's very little like value to me. And that's not at all what worm is to me. So
1: I, I associate grimdark with nihilism and I don't know if that's fair, um, but I kind of (laughs) do. And I don't think worm is nihilistic. I think, I don't think the story ends the way it does if this was a completely nihilistic story. So I, I, I don't, I would not call it grimdark. Yeah, but that I, yeah, but like any I, yeah. other word in the world of the internet, that word has been used over and over again to the point where it's almost meaningless now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just a feeling. The definition of grimdark is the way you feel <laughs> about what grimdark is. And so some people were probably going to say, no, it, it totally is because I think grimdark's this. Um, But yeah,
0: yeah, right. As usual, I'm already bored of arguments about definitions. <laughs> so. Um. Yeah, uh, I like, yeah, from Frustrated Free Buddha, I said your name right this time, uh, what was your favorite, sorry, what, line in the story?
1: It's when Taylor shot a baby in the face, Matt. It's when Taylor yeah. shot a baby. I don't even know, I don't even think the story says it was in the face, I've just decided that that's where she <laughs> shot the baby. Right. Because it's a very small baby, it's being Probably held did. by someone. So,
0: yeah. Face. Yeah, I don't I don't have a good answer to this. Um yeah, yeah. because
1: your answer is baby murder.
0: Yeah. Probably I mean the clock blocker one was a double take. The the clock blocker ghost one. Um, uh yeah, I can't think of any else off my head. I, I mean there's definitely so like I'm not I think I think most people don't get you needed worthy opponents immediately. Like I don't think anyone gets it immediately actually. Mm-hmm. Um so like you read it a few times and for me I was basically like, all right, I'm just gonna keep reading because 'cause I'm sure <laughs> the story will explain this to me. Uh yeah. So so yeah, I guess I guess you could call that a sorry what line. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess you could say like when uh when when the the ambulance or whatever PRT van brings back what Taylor thinks is a dead body of one of her teammates uh to the um Yeah, that's PRT. Like you're you're just like oh, but like like it like I distinctly remember like, and it, and it's and it says like Taylor goes cold. Like I'm pretty sure like I went cold. <laughs> like like I was ready ready to kick somebody's ass. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I mean, Alexandria good, yeah. dying herself is a is a pretty big. Sorry, what line? You're like, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. What? Hold on, what?
0: Yeah, yeah. Alexandria. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, all right, uh, King Bob Twelve asks favorite character arc
1: so we kind of talked about this already yeah um and my answer is rachel but i wanted to leave this in because matt there was a thread in in the reddit over the week because i get to i get to check that now matt i'm yeah. allowed to i'm allowed to check that now about um what was wild Bo's worst written character
0: <laughs> Oh God. Um, yeah.
1: which was just a, a wonderful thread of so many people saying things that were wrong Um, and I'm going to answer this question with panacea because even though it's my answer is Rachel, I'm going to answer with panacea because someone said, and like 50 people upvoted it that said that panacea Amy was a poorly written character. And no, no, no.
0: Yeah. I think the argument was that she didn't like completely munchkin her power, which, which is her character. Like, I don't yeah. know what people think characters are sometimes. And and my like, main... if this isn't Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, yeah, you're not going to min-max your power <laughs> when you're a scared, traumatic teenage girl who is going through an emotional breakdown, like, as it's, we watch her.
0: Like, it's that's the just... the Stark thing again, where yeah. it's confusing. I don't like this character, for this is a badly written character. Right,
1: And and that's... I, I I use this whole question to go on this rant and I'm so glad we get to do it because that's what I saw throughout that thread over and over again was people confusing uh badly written for I don't like what they did. I don't like the decisions they made or the decision Wildbow made for them. That does not mean it was a poorly written decision. That just means you don't like it. And that's two different things. And they're to their credit there were some people in that thread that answered um, things that I would agree with that I don't think we need to go through here. But, uh, Amy not curing, uh, Glory Girl in the moment where she's going through an emotional breakdown and like trying to fix her and only making it worse and like losing her mind because she's like breaking her rule and like trying to fix it and she can't do it. And every time she tries, she messes up a little more and it just gets worse and worse and worse. That is not poorly written. That is who Amy is. And no, no, 50 yeah. people that upvoted that, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I don't have anything to add. That was uh, I- incorrect.
1: So thanks, King Bob, for letting me go on my rant. I don't know if yeah. that's what you expected from your question, but that's where we we took it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like Imps' character arc. Um, that's uh, because you re- you just really don't expect it. You know, it's very, it's a very, it's like a very novel kind of arc to me like i always appreciate it when there's something i just haven't seen before And like i said i said i like defiance arc but defiance like asshole who's redeemed i mean there's nuance there obviously but like it's it's kind of an arcs kind of an archetype like imps mm-hmm. i can't really fit that to any archetype personally so so I, I like that a lot
1: yeah absolutely good good answer
0: all right expert eye rollinger asks what epilogue would you have liked
1: um, I would have liked to have seen Golem again and see how he was doing in the result of the the gold morning. Is that what we call it? Yeah. Gold morning. Okay. Um, or I would have liked to see Amy. Um, we got some hints at what was going on with Amy in the teacher interlude, but uh, I would have liked to see her again because she's a really well-written
0: character. Yeah. I think I would go with Golem. Yeah, I agree. I, I wanted to see more from what was going on with that guy. Okay. From, from burn victim 42, what actors would play various characters? <laughs>
1: I'm so bad at these games. I can never think of the right people. And then someone will point it out to me. I was like, Oh, that's great. Why didn't I think of that? Um, I, I, so the only way I know how to answer this question is by saying you have to hire teenagers that look like teenagers. Like, you, you, you have to, like, there's the tendency in some of these teen works to hire like, Twenty-seven-year-old people <laughs> to play fifteen-year-old kids. I'm looking at you, Dawson's Creek. Um, and I just—you can't—you can't do that with this. Like them being young is so important to their character and the things that they go through that they have to look young.
0: Yeah, it's so one. one thing I uh, commented a million years ago, probably under a different handle, actually. Now that I think of it, but but like my thought was actually. Someone was making the point of like Taylor needs to be a 15 year old 5'10 with shoulder length black hair and this slightly wide mouth. And I'm like, no, actually, no. Taylor could be played by a you know blonde five foot, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, it has to be someone who can convey Taylor's character this like kind of cold internalized ruthlessness yet still helps like somehow likable like you have to nail like you have to be able to nail that and that's what's going to be much harder to find in someone who looks like how taylor's described so yes i completely
1: i completely agree a lot of times with fan casting we go let's marry the physical looks and it is so much more than that um every time we talk about this i go back to the internet losing its mind about Heath Ledger as the Joker, um, because it's the best example of when everyone was wrong, yeah. <laughs> um, including myself. I will cop to that. <laughs> I thought that was stupid. Um, and, and I will I will never do that again. And that, that I learned an important lesson through that casting, that y- you have to get someone who has th- the presence of the character, not just the looks of the character. And, and yeah. I would much rather you bend on the looks than you bend on the ability to convey that presence.
0: Yeah. I, I don't really have any good answers to this question. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't think my brain works the same way most people do when they're reading. Cause I barely even picture these people as having faces.
1: Yeah. We, we talked so, about that before. I, yeah. I do, I do it the same way there. There, yeah. there, there, there's an emotion attached to the character, not a physical view yeah. of them in my head.
0: Right. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. So next question from burn victim 42, uh, where does the same plot end? And I thought this was a good question because like you can get, uh, especially in, in, in any story where there's like prophecy and future sight, you can get in this space where it, the things start to feel meaningless because you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. This is all, you know, the will of the force or whatever. But I've actually changed my mind about this recently, uh, specifically after rereading and kind of studying the the it wasn't the Seamurg interlude, but it's the part where you're kind of seeing into the Seamurg's head. And she is basically thinking about how how not omniscient she is. Like she 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 throws a stone into into darkness, or she 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 throws a stone, period, and of the time, she she doesn't think of it this way, but my interpretation is like 99% of the time, the billiard ball that she throws is going to hit the thing that she aimed at. And then 99% of the time that that ball ricochets at her next target, it's going to result in the outcome that she wanted. And then 99% of the time after that, but you see each, each collision has a little bit of error baked into it. And you, you get enough collisions, you get enough causal connections away, and her control is is practically non-existent. Otherwise, the whole world will just be the clockwork, you know, wound up by the Seaborg, which it clearly isn't. Yeah. So, um, that that's my that's my like, the story is not an just entirely one hundred percent a Seaborg plot justification.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, there, we got a f- we've got a few questions on these and a few comments on this throughout, um, about the idea of free will versus determinant determinism um, in, in this story and and what the story is saying. And I think like, like I, I, I think it's narratively boring to just say that this was all just a plot of the Seamurg and a result of Dinah um, because it removes choice from your characters. And if your characters don't have choice, they don't have agency and then they're boring and flat. And, that's obviously not the case. Our characters make choices. Uh, our characters have things that happen to them and they react to them in certain ways. And, and I think it's overly simplistic to write it all off as just influenced by uh, the, these precogs. Um, it, it's too simplistic. And I'm not saying that they didn't have some uh, bearing on the way things played out. They, they very clearly did, but I just, I, I, I don't, think, I don't think Worm is a study of free will versus determinism. Um, I think it's in the story, but I don't think that, that, that the idea of the story is to explore specifically the difference between those two things and how they shake out. And if that's not what the story is trying to do, then by saying that, oh, this was all just a plot of the Seamurg, um, it, it seems to contradict the point of the, the, the novel.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, particularly because we have this, this explicit story element that when you have multiple precogs kind of stepping on each other's toes, they mess up each other's results, and that yeah. just suggests that there's no such thing as, like, God's eye precog. You know, yeah. e- even, even Contessa, who arguably has, like, kind of the most broken power, it has blind spots. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Cool. So, next question from Sage of Stupidity. Uh, has Worm changed your view of the superhero genre?
1: Yes. And no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this gets into something you talked about earlier, which is that Worm is a reconstruction of the genre. And I like that a lot because I think I even, if you go back and listen, I think I even called it a deconstruction early in. Um, in the plot and that's because at the get it kind of seems like that it kind of seems like it has an element of we're going to break down all the individual uh aspects of the genre and and look at why they're dumb or stupid or 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 how we can how we can twist them but it's not that it it is not that it's exactly what you said it is let's make these elements in a genre that is at its surface kind of silly i mean you have people in underpants like with magic powers fighting each other. Like that is, there's something inherently silly about that. Let's take this and find a way to make it work. And yeah, and worm absolutely does that. And yes, I will be comparing every superhero thing I see to the story, but I also think you have to go back to, um, what, what the person is trying to do. I think, I think Ebert said, uh, A movie or a story is, is not about what it's about, it's how it's about it. And Mm. I think that is so important when looking at stories that, that Marvel comics and films and are not trying to do the same thing that, that Worm is trying to do. So to judge them the same way, I don't think is fair to those things. But yeah, it's going to be hard not to say, well, Worm did it this way in the back of your head somewhere when you're, when you're watching. Or reading these things,
0: yeah, right. I mean, there's a few, there's a few places where, like, man, I, I hate to, I hate to call out a specific movie, but like the, the uh, Avengers, Captain America, to the big one, the, mo- the most recent one, what was that called? <laughs> Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. Like, it's funny because I like was gushing about that movie when it came out, but then like it hasn't aged well in my mind. And and I think a lot of it is like, it was kind of trying to be a little bit serious. And it's like, if you're going to be serious, I've seen worm now. So I need you to do, I need you to be serious (laughs) in a way that, in a way that I can swallow. Because like the the other direction is my favorite superhero movie, Spider-Man two with Tobey Maguire, which is not serious at all. Really. I mean, it's, it's It's, it takes itself. It takes the emotion and the drama seriously. But it it also embraces the like this is Spider Man he swings around in his underpants mm-hmm. and and we're gonna have fun with that so that's like the perfect straddling that line for me in in the opposite direction of not making it you know realism focused
1: yeah. yeah yeah I think you're right yeah and and I love that movie and I will continue to love that movie um, but yeah I mean it is it is hard not to make those comparisons.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, yeah, we can talk first for a second. Uh, from from Microburst, uh, points out that the final line of uh, chapter 3.4 uh, was removed. It, it used to be, I turned my attention to Scion.
1: And so the, the final line is now the, finally everyone was working together, right?
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, I believe so. <laughs> yeah. So that that's something that Wildbow removed relatively recently, right?
0: Yeah, like re- literally within the last couple months, yeah. It's
1: crazy. Um uh I think it's so much better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean so so just, you know, the, the 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 line obviously the line obviously jumps out when it's the last line. Yeah. It still jumped out even when it wasn't the last line, but I just think it lands a lot harder now. Yeah. Well,
1: and and it goes back to um this wonderful moment at the end of the arc when when Taylor says it was never about Sion it was about us and yeah. this seems to cement that in that that the, the chapter ends with finally everyone was working together not I turned my attention to Sion it's not about him it's not about Sion Sion is is the reason but he's not the important part and I think that's that cements that theory so I love I love that it was taken out actually I think it's it works so much better to tie into that that thematic end to this was always about us, not him.
0: Yeah. I agree completely. Also, I think I noticed when I was rereading that, that exact, like a very similar phrasing to, I turn my attention to Sion occurs either elsewhere in that chapter or in the next chapter. And so it's like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel special at all. Cause it's just like, Oh, she's cool. What? Of course she's turning her attention to Sion. It's, yeah. it's her enemy. So yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Burst also wants us to talk about redemption arcs in We did that a little bit talking about defiance. Um, there's there's a bunch though, actually. There's a bunch.
1: Yeah, I think um, I don't. We didn't get a lot of direction from Nykroverse here, so I'm just gonna <laughs> say uh, I think that redemption arcs are one of kind of the. I don't want to say easiest, but they're used a lot in storytelling. Like this idea that we're going to take someone who does something bad and then redeem them. They're used a lot. Um, so it's very, um, it means something when they're done well. Yeah. Because I think they're used so often. Um, and so many stories are about redeeming the main character or redeeming the main character's friend or, 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 the antagonist, um, there's, there was, like, I, the talk about Star Wars in this latest trilogy is going to be Kylo Ren's redemption arc. And it doesn't, it doesn't really seem like that's gonna be the way anymore, but spoilers. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, I, I think that Worm, like, I don't, I don't even call them, like, I'm trying to think of, this is tough to phrase, but I don't even know if they're all necessarily redemption arcs, are they just windows into human beings and how human beings operate and how human beings get to a place where they can at least um, get better? Um, it's not so much about redemption. Like I don't see Bonesaw being redeemed at the end of the story. I just see her finally in a place where maybe there's hope for her to get better. Like the the, the thing I love that one of my favorite quotes in the story is when, when Taylor's standing over the memorial, to Alec and saying like the, the good things that you do don't make the bad things go away. And I love that idea. I love that central idea at the heart of this, that you can do all the good in the world, but the bad will still be there. And I think that's worms take on redemption that, that yeah, you can, you can make choices and move yourself in a positive direction, but the, the mistakes you made don't just magically disappear because of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's vastly more mature than what we normally see. I mean, like consider Darth Vader throws the Emperor into the shaft and then Luke saves him successfully. Okay. So now he's a war criminal. And is he (laughs) contrite? Like, what does he do now? Like, seriously, like this never even occurs to you. This is like the first time it's occurring to me. And it's just because I'm forcing myself to be like, yeah, it is kind of convenient when you call it a redemption arc. When all a person does is they do one good thing and sacrifice themselves. Um, You know, and and Alex may be the only character in the story who actually dies for someone. And and you can sort of call that his redemption arc, although I think his his redemption is in terms of like becoming a better person actually begins before we even meet him.
1: Right. Right. Um, I don't think redemption is a a light switch. I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's not one moment. It's not one choice. It's a, it's a road. And I think that's what worm does very well. It's like, that's why I love the, the Valkyrie interlude in the epilogue so much because we go back to Bonesaw and we've had Bonesaw as a monster. And then we have her instrumental in 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 assisting in the fight against Sion, but she's not better. Like she's, 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 there's still, there's still a part of her that's fundamentally broken. And that's not something that like, even after you've made that, that decision that I am going to try to be better, like that's not, that's not the end of the road at all. And, and it's so easy to, to like killing off a person in redemption is an easy way to not deal with that is just to say like, Oh, well now they've done it and now they're dead so they don't have to go on <laughs> they they've right. they've redeemed themselves and then and that's why i love the idea that taylor is is actually yes very much alive at the end of the story because she did not sacrifice herself and then gets to die as the sacrificial redeemed person um because she gave up her power and 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 sacrificed herself like she has to now live with this and that's the hard road and and that's the tough part, and I love that. That's the part that Worm really explores, um, and and even even when it seems like Worm is going to give you that typical redemption through Alec, the story almost explicitly says, "Hey, that's not you're not really redeemed. Like you still did all those really bad things, but yeah. hey, you did good too. That's yeah.
0: great. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting. The story never really answers this question of like, how do you weigh." the good things you do and the bad things you do. It, it's a yeah. question. It's not a, there's no answer. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it's, and it's very, I think it's very personal too. I think it's very mm-hmm. much. How do you live with yourself? And yeah, <laughs> with great difficulty in Taylor, like, <laughs> like yeah. I, I the, the, the end of the story is so hopeful. It really is, but it is still made very clear that this is a hard road. She has the, like the weight, of everything she's done is, is pushing down on her and she feels that maybe, maybe one day she can just be okay. That's, that's, that's a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next question. I think this was an email. It was uh, Andrew. And essentially Andrew is pointing out that, that I I think safe to say that, that, he wishes we had found more time to talk about language. Um, And, and that he he really enjoyed it every time we did like, like uh, the water imagery during the Leviathan fight, Um, you know, basically just focusing down really tightly on like specific word choices and sentences. Um, Yeah. And you you go ahead, but I'll just say, I, I agree with him. (laughs)
1: Yes, I I do too. And I think, I think this comes from our, uh, in retrospect, rather insane schedule <laughs> that we we set up on ourselves. I think when we started this project, we looked and we said, okay, this story has 31 arcs and it's a nice, neat division for us. And maybe we'll have to do a few double episodes to get through them. But hey, that's good. And I don't think either of us fully realized just how big the later sections would be. I mean, like, it's one thing to look at Word counts and be like, okay, this is 70,000 words. Um, but it, it, when it, it doesn't fully really hit you how much story that is until you start sitting down to like break it out into a podcast. So, you know, I, I think a lot of that is a result of like, we, we just, we just didn't have time to really dive down deep into the language all the time. And I think. There, there were parts where stuff jumped out at me or jumped out at you in a way that we we're like, okay, we have to talk about this. We have to make time for this because this really jumps out at us and it's really great and we want to talk about it. And so we did, but those were few and far between because we had so much to cover. So, uh, Andrew says he hopes that then we've got Ward. We have more time to do that. And I do too. And I think, I think that because this schedule is two to three chapters a week instead of uh 10 <laughs> i think um we will have more time to point out some of those things we will have more time to to really get into the language itself and and why we think wild bow is is a great writer of language i'm really yeah. i'm really hoping so
0: right i mean one thing about the the way we did this is we we had to do a lot of things which are maybe not even apparent but like when i'm doing my weekly synopsis i call it a synopsis i don't even know if that's the right word basically i'm going through and i'm trying to summarize and relay all of the like all the plot points that i think are essentially like indispensable like if like 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 i'm doing triage and saying if i if i skip this chunk of paragraphs here then something will have been like missed for this character's arc Are for an understanding of this aspect of how Taylor's dealing with this or, or Taylor's relationship with this character. Um, so like continually having to find this balance of like, okay, this podcast can't last seven hours, but also I want to make sure that I don't miss any of these things that, that I'm going to regret missing and are going to like make it so that like kind of the argument or the, the construction of, of, of analysis of the podcast of the, of the story breaks down. Um, And part of that is part of that is this is me being aware that people are listening to this podcast. You haven't necessarily read worm in a while and they not remember what happened in a given chapter. So I'm also having to kind of bring them up to speed. And like like this one interesting thing about we've got Ward is that most people listening will have just read the chapter and, right. and we won't really have to spend a huge amount of time, um, just summarizing, summarizing. Exactly. Yes. Wow. That was a lot of talking to try to say basically that. Yeah. Just like <laughs> we'll spend, spend less time on summarizing and more time on
1: analysis
0: analysis. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I, I absolutely think so. And I, like when we first released our plan, I think we kind of said we were going to do like, um, a, a lighter Analysis week by week. And then once an arc done, really dive deep into the arc. I'm kind of in my head walking that back a little bit. Um, I think maybe we'll have like a special bonus at the end of an arc to talk about the themes of the arc as a whole. But I really, I want to be able to dive into this in detail, like chapter by chapter and really have the time to explore the chapter and explore the language of the chapter and what it's doing and what it's trying to do. And I think that we're going to be able to do that. And I hope that gets into 20 minute conversations where we talk about the difference between, um, the and a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. we did that one time. And I really yeah. think there's opportunities to do that. And I think we'll just have the bandwidth to be able to do it. Um, so the, the, the very, very long winded answer from both of us to that, Andrew, is yes, that is absolutely our goal, um, going into this, this new show.
0: Yeah, I think the reason for the long-windedness is, like, we we enjoy that kind of thing as much as you enjoy listening to it, apparently. And, uh, yeah, that's a priority for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, cool. So, um, now, I have a bunch of Word of Gods that I kind of pulled out that no one else had mentioned, so this is just an opportunity. And, and you know, Scott, some of these you may just want to say, cool, and then we can move <laughs> on. but. but and, you know, but part of this is like maybe some people listening to this are not are not aware of some of these and, and it'd just be fun to kind of hear them. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so very 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 first, um the what I call the witness interlude. Um so so there was uh an interlude written at the end of the or not at the end, in the middle kind of of the echidna arc of the echidna storyline, which is really two arcs. Um, and it's from the perspective of a telltale clone who eventually names herself echidna uh, sorry witness uh, witness and uh, basically this this clone is like buried under the rubble with shatterbird and noelle and then uh, noelle escapes and then she's stuck under there with just shatterbird and we see basically we see what it's like to be one of these clones which i think is cool not something we got to see in the story and uh, we learn a lot more about shatterbird and uh, basically This story was was deleted by Wildo for a a few reasons, I think. Um, But I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, this was this was cool. I liked it a lot. Um, I liked. It's always fun to be in Tattletale's head, whether it's real Tattletale or clone Tattletale, because I think the um, the way the prose uh, explains the workings of her power is very interesting to me. Um, you kind of get to see the dots connect themselves as she goes. And that's always, I think that's really fun. Um, so getting to see it again is enjoyable. Um, I like, I like how it's structured. I like that it's from her point of view and I like how we get to see, we learn about Shatterbird a little bit through her point of view. We learn what happens to Vista, how she gets out of the situation that she was in. Um, (laughs) and I, I think it's cool. I think a lot of it is kind of, um, I mean, it, it's, it's very exposition heavy, which, what you're, where you're, you're in tattletale's head or tattletale clone head, so that makes sense, but a lot of this is like Shatterbird explaining her backstory, so, uh, so tattletale clone can pick it apart a little bit, um, which is, I mean, it's not, I don't think it was ever dull, um, but it's also not like the, the most exciting way to reveal some of this information, um, but I think I think you told me before that the reason this was pulled was because of the very end, because uh, the WELDS new Inhumans group, um, it's irregulars, right? Inhumans is yeah, Marvel. Right. Damn it, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> irregulars group uh, brings witness along with them, and and people felt that that was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, um, that that is, my understanding is that was at least one of the major reasons why this was pulled. I, there may have been others like some of the things you're pointing out um but i think that was the main one is like basically no way would would the irregulars take on this person when they know that there are uh, uh echidna clones still around and my like my, my response to that was always i feel like if wildo really wanted to he could have uh, you know e- either removed a couple of things or like added a couple of lines explaining why this was more plausible but like i don't know maybe that's a bad instinct on my part
1: yeah well and i think this is like witness joins the uh the irregulars and we see the irregulars kind of go nuts at the end uh-huh. of the story and and i it's not confirmed but i like to think that part of this was fucking tattletail clone screwing with people and forcing them down uh, down a road uh, that she wanted them to go down. So I, I like, I like this better in the story than I like it out of the story. And I hope it can find its way back in some way. Um, right. I, 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 I see people's point, but I also think like weld is like such a fucking nice guy and he's so willing to help out anyone that's suffering through some of the same stuff he is that, especially someone like tattletale who can manipulate people so well. Um, to, to see her as non-threatening. Um, I think it's believable that they would just see her as another, another case 53 and, and want to help her out.
0: Yeah. I, I basically agree. I mean, I, I, so this is probably a sin of some kind, but like, I basically see this as part of the story. Like, I know it's not canonical, but I, I'm like, yeah, but sure it is. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if that's allowed, but, but I, I I like this. It's allowed. So just like,
1: you just did it.
0: Yeah, I did it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's that. I, I like that quite a bit as a, you know, it's not even really word of God. It's more like just kind of a special little unique thing about web serials that you can have a chapter that gets released and then gets retracted. <laughs>
1: yep. Uh, yep. I wonder uh, how we're going to deal with that if it happens during Ward. Um Yeah. I don't know part like because part of me wants to like if, if an author is going to pull a chapter it's because he doesn't want the chapter to be out there and yeah. so I, I am reluctant to cover it as part of normal coverage if that's the case you know because you know you want yeah. to respect the wishes of the creator
0: yeah no I, I don't know if there's even a pat answer for that that's the yeah. kind of thing we're gonna have to play by ear
1: it's gonna be but, fun yeah. guys
0: yeah yeah all right next one uh, so yeah Jack's trigger event which uh, I think is interesting in and of itself. And I also want to talk about the fact that uh, recently Wild has kind of pseudo-walked it back. Uh, but anyway, so the trigger event was basically that Jack, a.k.a. Jacob, had been sealed in a bomb shelter as a child uh, by kind of abusive parents who didn't want to have to take care of him or, or whatever. And kind of gaslighted over the radio his parents to believe that the world had ended and it was basically Mad Max slash the road outside and eventually he gets out somehow and walks out sees the world is not at all like he thought it was and his worldview implodes and he triggers and uh, yeah so I guess first what do you what do you think of that
1: I mean that's I think that's really cool I think it kind of makes sense how his worldview is so warped. Um, yeah. Um, that's, that's an insanely cruel thing to do to someone. Um, and I would just watched a movie about a similar thing. It's called Brigsby yeah. Bear. It's really good. Oh,
0: interesting. Watch it. Um, it's not what I would guess that movie's about from the title.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, right? Maybe <laughs> I just spoiled part of the movie, but no, it's revealed pretty soon, but it, <laughs> okay. it's very good and watch it. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's very interesting. And I think it, it, it gives some, some viewpoint into, why Jack the way is the way he is, which is, which is good. Um, I don't know if it's necessary. I think it's fine that this is a, a word of God and not in the story proper. I don't think it's necessary. I think we have a pretty good understanding of, of who Jack is that we don't necessarily need to know necessarily why he is that way. It doesn't really change stuff for us, but yeah, right.
0: I like it. It's the kind of thing that's, that's fun to think about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so the one thing I thought was interesting, and this is kind of like a meta comment on like why word of God is is a weird area is is he said basically he he wished that he had originally said this is the kind of trigger that Jack might have had instead of saying this was Jack's trigger. And it's like it's like, yeah, I mean, this is fiction that he made up. So, so right. So, so he can actually, as long as it's not in the story, he can actually change his mind about right. Word of God, <laughs> and that's and that's why,
1: like, calling it Word of God is a a, a bit of irony on its own, and that's why yeah. that's why I kind of feel uncomfortable about some of this. Like, I, I think it's great that he interacts with his audience. I. I'm worried that every little thing he says about any of his story is going to be taken as gospel and recorded in a database somewhere, Um, especially when he has shown through the sequel that he's not done in this world yet. So, like, I I would hate to see, like, people be up in arms because he changes his mind about something that he said, wouldn't it be cool if it was this way? But then when I was actually constructing my narrative, I realized that I would much rather it be this way. And. Right. And that's like, I that's yeah, it gets into such a gray area, and like, yeah. like I don't, I don't want, I don't want anyone to feel restricted in their world building by things that they've said in a message board or on a on a chat channel once when they were just yeah. tossed when they were just shooting the shit with people, and like I, I hope he doesn't, and I don't think Wildbo is the type of person that would, but. I mean, it's got to feel like nerve wracking that, you know, that every little thing you say about your story, someone's going to, going to copy paste it somewhere.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I would like to say for the record that, that, uh, I encourage, you know, changing, changing your mind about anything that isn't published in a, yeah. you know, Absolutely. and even then, even then you can edit it, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, This is just a small one. Uh, So uh, canonically, EarthBet is more LGBTQ friendly because of legend specifically, um, because he's kind of like a high profile guy who who kind of um, was was more open about his sexuality earlier in uh, what's the word in the timeline than any analogous thing happened in kind of the. You know, real Earth timeline. So that yeah. was the explanation for that. I thought I think, that was
1: kind of neat. I think that's really cool, and I think it's it's true to life that a lot of these things, like they say that the, the way to get people, the way to become an ally, is to have someone in your life that uh, is LGBTQ. My my sister mm-hmm. is, uh, and like, it's not that I was against <laughs> any of that beforehand, but like having a person that you know and love and respect and and. Like, seeing them go through these things and seeing them have to deal with these things on a very personal level changes a lot of people's opinions about this. There are a lot of, a lot of very con- traditionally conservative people that have had a, a, a gay person in their family that have, have changed their mind about these things. And so that's very, this very, it's a very true to life realization here. Um, and that's why representation matters. Yeah. Yay worm right. for being super diverse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool because like, it's not like you were wondering, it's not like you were like reading the story like, why is everyone so LGBTQ friendly? It's just like, it was a background fact. It, it was like, there just didn't seem to be a whole lot of stigma at all mm-hmm. at any point in the story. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. All right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually like this one and I can't really explain why I find this one so cool. But so, so the text itself notes that Nilbog is, is kind of unusual for a cape because Uh, Once he locked down his territory, he didn't really seek any further conflict. He just didn't want anybody to come into his territory. And that's actually contra to the kind of the purpose of the shards. Um, So the the purpose of Nilbog's shard, according to word of God, is not the harvest conflict, but is rather to create an isolated repository of organisms that can be used as hosts if humanity is wiped out in order to preserve the cycle.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of wonder if that's like someone came to Wildbow one day and said, Hey, this doesn't make sense. And he goes, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, now it does.
0: We'll have a science fiction justification. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Boom. Got you. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like that. I like that he's able to do this again. It goes into that, that world building, but
0: yeah. Yeah. I think it's fun. It is. All right. Next one. <laughs> Scott. So, Parian isn't using her power right. There's a mysterious, true use to Parian's power.
1: What? Okay. Yeah. I think I remember something about how her power was never easy. Like, she says, like, she always struggled with it. So, I guess yes. that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, so ba- basically, like, even from within her point of view, it's kind of implied that, like, it's everything's hard for her to do. and right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there's so so this is I think what's more almost more interesting than the fact that mis- that Parian's power has a mysterious true use is the fact that uh the fandom is completely insane about this, <laughs> uh, somewhat including me honestly because like if there's a mystery to be solved
1: because Waldo hasn't told you,
0: Waldo hasn't told us and there's a mystery to be solved and if if someone says oh by the way you should be able to figure it out in the text <laughs> then anyone with a with the slightest puzzle-solving bone in their body is just like, oh, well, I will be the one to solve it then, and cue thousands of posts uh, trying to guess the true use of parents power, which uh, someone apparently has guessed it, and it's just kind of being kept under wraps, which huh. is fine. Hmm. hmm. I'm probably so. not going to bother.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, um, uh, next one. Yeah. Next one. Oh, that's cool though. You'll I like, like that. You like this one, Scott? You like this one? What what is it, man? Brian lied <gasps> about his trigger. No.
1: I who would have seen that coming? I don't know. Oh wait, it was it was me.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's go back. Yeah. Let's see right here. Um Scott's speculation number 7 made on April 5th, 2017. Brian's background story is at least partially bullshit
0: boom yeah right and i mean like especially after you understand more about triggers and stuff it just yeah makes no sense that this story happened the way it did but like i don't know i think that this was honestly one of the one of your predictions where people were like how the fuck did you get that (laughs) um i just i uh,
1: i don't know he like i don't know i don't remember how much we knew about brian at this point of the story but he seemed like a guy who would posture and if like he was very uncomfortable telling his story and like he would, he seemed like the type of person that would embellish in order to uh, avoid weakness or make himself look better than he did. And yeah. the more we learned about him, the more that became true and, right. and and like the more confident in this I was, although we never got any, any in story justification of it, but, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I, I couldn't find the Word of God that actually like, like the actual quote that says what really happened. But my recollection, which may be faulty, was something like he was using his power to hide, which is what you really think his power is being used for. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it never made
1: huh? it never made yeah. sense that he triggered. Like, because even I when when I was trying to get my head around it, I was like, okay, so he triggered so he could hide his sister, but then he says he beat his dad up. I was like, that doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense, Brian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then he, like, somehow didn't notice his trigger event, which yeah. is kind of the weirdest part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah next one. Um, that, yeah. This, I guess I just thought this was kind of interesting, but uh, it's interesting to think about that, like, yeah. So the reason that, I'm just going to say it first. So, so Gallant actually knew Amy was in love with Victoria and that she hated him and was jealous of him. And was kind of keeping an eye on her, and and was potentially you know there to be a, a positive force, but he got killed by Leviathan before he could do anything about it. Um, I just kind of like that as bit of a bit of like, yeah, Wildo well, really did think of everything. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's that's I think that's really cool, and I, I think that that it brings that whole scene and in, into more light when when he's talking to her and trying to help her out that, that of course he kind of had a, like he's got a guy who could sense of emotions. Right. So he, it yeah. kind of makes sense that, yeah, he would be able to pick up on this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the,
0: cool. Yeah. So, cool. so this is my last one that I'm pulling out. Okay. Uh, and there's, you know, a whole genre of worm word of God has to do with like the details of powers. And that's just not something that I'm going to spend a huge amount of time on, you know, like the, I think the nail one was one. But another one here would be Hero's Power. Uh, Hero being, you know, the the original Triumvirate Cauldron Cape Mm -hmm. was basically an unrestricted Tinker version of Scion's broad, terrifying wavelengths power, which we see Scion use in very versatile ways. You can almost say most of what he does is some application of this like golden light wavelengths, stilling, you know, dissolving, stopping things, Mm -hmm. wavelength power. So I just thought that was neat bit of flavor
1: yeah that's cool um i don't i don't know if i have anything to say about that yeah right cool and that's and like there's probably going to be some word of god stuff that we left out that you guys are disappointed that we didn't broach or talk about and and the really the reason is because like i just i don't i don't have a lot to say about it like someone sent me uh damsel of distresses uh trigger event and that was cool to read but i i don't know what else to say besides that that was cool to read um And, and right. that's how I, I feel about a lot of, like, a lot of the really deep, like, deep dive info into how the powers work and where they come from is stuff that I think is cool, but I don't know what to say.
0: Yeah. Some of these I'm almost just just mentioning so listeners who may not be up to speed on the word of God will be like, oh, okay, cool, and then yeah. move on with your day.
1: Right, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, that wraps up the worm segment of uh, of the of the mailbag. So now we're moving on in, into ward specific questions. Yeah. Uh, from seer graug. Uh, who do you think the protagonist will be? Is this person a new character? And if so, what kind of character do you want or expect? Uh, if you think it's an existing character, which one would you want or expect?
1: So um, I was about 50, 50 on this. And I was like, well, it depends on what the, the point, what the themes of this new story are and what Wildbot wants to do with it. But then like so many people asked me this question that, like, <laughs> it was like, um, if it wasn't someone we've heard of, then people probably would not have asked the question as much, yeah, right. So, I'm I'm on the side of this is some, this is an existing character, this is someone we know, this is someone we've seen before. Um, who is it? I don't know, like, I'm revealing something a, a bit he- like I've seen the banner on the Parahuman subreddit, um, which has. The character, a, a blonde woman, um, very prominently on it. Also, we today, as we record this, got our, uh, new cover art image for We've Got Ward, which is, guys, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Lawn did that for us and it's amazing. Um, That's I can't gorgeous. wait to show you guys. But, um, so I know it's, a, it's a woman. I know it's a blonde woman. Um, I don't have a lot of guesses right now. I mean, like, the, the, the one I kind of, thought it might be was was valkyrie um she's blonde right i think <laughs> maybe i made that up I
0: think, yeah i think she is
1: um because like it seemed like we were setting that up at the at the end of the, the epilogue but i i honestly don't know and i don't i i am drawing a blank as to which known women characters are, are blonde in the story um I, I don't Good. know. I, I don't, you know what? I'm okay not knowing. Yeah. Like, I, I'm really okay with this. I'm very... I think who the character is is going to be very important to, to what the story is going to be discussing. So, I kind of want to find that out when I read it. So, yeah. I'm I'll fine thank with you that.
0: For, thank you for sparing my, my poker face slash voice. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, next question, also from Sir Graug. Uh What characters do you think will appear in the sequel are there any that you want to see more of Are that you feel is more potential etc
1: yeah um yes <laughs> uh i like like i think we're gonna see the undersiders um i don't I, I hope it doesn't focus too much on the undersiders um i don't like i i mean here's here's the thing about character arcs like you can you can complete an arc But that doesn't mean you have to be done with the character. Like, the character can go through something completely different, and there can be a new character arc. So, like, I don't want to say, like, it seems like Tattletail's gone through something, and therefore, I don't want to see her go through something else again. That's not true. But, I hope it doesn't focus on those guys as much. I hope we, we explore some other characters. Um, I would like to see, I would like to see more Amy. I really would. Um, I would like to see what, how she's doing in this world. Um, I really thought, before I knew it was a girl, that, that Golem would make a great protagonist of the story. And so I'd like to see him more. Um That's been a, a common theme throughout these questions is more Golem. Cause I really like him. Um Yeah. Uh, th- like there is, I am very excited to see what the story is and where the story goes, because I think there is a world of possibilities that we leave with, that we leave warm with. And I'm, I'm really excited about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, based on that, not Nicroburst asked uh, just if you have any other general speculations. Uh,
1: so, the if if Worm is about dealing with trauma, um, I think like the, a lot of the story is going to central on the aftermath of everything that happened, and 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 like you have mankind separated amongst thousands of of worlds. You have. Uh, people trying to recover you have capes who already were dealing with traumatic events now have another shared trauma in in uh the kepri moment so you're going to be dealing with the aftermath of that um i think we're going to get to see like there was a lot of like when i when i would moralize throughout the story there was a lot of people talking about how well no this is kind of Brockton Bay after Leviathan is kind of post-apocalyptic and therefore the rule of law has kind of faded and, and I kind of pushed back against that at the time because l- structure was still very much in place and now we're going to go to a world that structure is almost non-existent and is attempting to be put in place and I think there's there's a lot of drama to be to be ripped from that. I hope that we our, our point of view character is someone very different from Taylor so we can explore um, this world from the perspective of someone different. Um, I think that's the most interesting way to do it. I I almost hope Taylor's not in it <laughs> at all. Um, we know she's locked away on a separate world, but this is a magical power universe, so there's no saying she couldn't get out of there eventually. But I I hope I hope we leave her behind, and I think I think we will. Um, that's all I got for now. I don't know. Does cool. any of that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I mean, uh, it, it's funny. I know. So little more than you but i still can't open the mouth so <laughs> we'll be caught uh, up yeah.
1: we'll be caught up so soon
0: yeah i know it's gonna be fast so yeah let's move on into the general uh slash personal questions um so from glass girl cc uh she asks how did we decide on lacrimosa from mozart's requiem as the opening music and and they go on to say that this is the most fitting, most perfect music that we could have possibly chosen. And they're just trying to, they're just trying to, they're trying to embarrass me. Um, (laughs) um, I, yeah. And also the fact that we, we, you know, we played different uh, movements of Requiem to accent the Endbringer fights. And, and we played uh, another part of the Requiem during uh, the part where we were reading kind of the end that we were summarizing, talking about the end of the story um, so, so I had this idea, um, long, you know, at the beginning, obviously That so first of all, like lacrimosa was, you know, a funeral mass, it's extremely powerful and sad and tragic. And I, I couldn't think of anything that better captured like my feelings about worm at that point in my life. Cause like it's, it's funny. I, I've, I almost like am like I was, I was like almost sad. I was like still sad about worm at that point. Like I, would finished it mm-hmm. recently enough that I was like still sad about it. And especially after doing this project, I think I see a lot more like good and, and like, put, like potential for good that kind of makes it a less, thoroughly sad story um so 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 that's interesting but like definitely the first time i read it i was just like wow this is a really powerful tragedy and there's nothing better than than the requiem and specifically lacrimosa as like the lighter you know movement to, to to introduce of course scott you did all the work in terms of actually editing it in which which you know you did it extremely well um, did you want to comment on on that at all from your end
1: yeah so it like uh glass girl cc says that um playing that one movement during our discussion at the very end of of 30.7 um was what pushed them into crying and is it is it weird that that makes me happy (laughs) um (laughs) like first of all like it, it was matt's complete like the music was matt's idea from the get go, like the, the opening music, uh, which part we used at the end, I was just editing it, and then to to play the music over that final arc was completely Matt's idea, and I was so stressed out about it <laughs> because like I I sat there and tinkered with it for over an hour because I was so concerned about getting the volume right and like there was a spot where I needed to loop it, um, but I wanted to make sure the loop didn't like completely toss off the tone and wasn't like noticeable and jarring, so like I I worked on it for so long and i'm so happy it worked on you and and it, it hit the emotional core that we were trying for i'm so happy for that so thank you um but yeah i love the music and and matt have you have you thought about what we're gonna open we've got ward with yet do you know oh
0: man no this God. is this is
1: i mean this is a big oh. it's a oh, big geez. thing to follow up on matt yeah know. you've got a week yeah.
0: I mean, that's the thing. Is I, I felt so much like certainty. Like when I thought of using this music, I was like, "Yep, that's it. That's there's. There will never be any better choice than this." But yep. I, yeah, I haven't really thought about
1: it. It, it really, it really is perfect. And the funny thing is, like, I hear "Lacrimosa" everywhere now, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's like it is very, very widely used, but it sticks out to me so much more now because I've listened to it over and over again in editing. That like <laughs> yeah. any time a story. A, a TV show or a movie or something used it, I'm just like, Hey. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I noticed, I noticed the other day that like a different movement is in Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like one of the most beautiful pieces of music in the world. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Um, tonally, I think it fits. Yeah. So another question um, from E Namor D what are your favorite aspects of Wilder's writing that you want to see more of? The words, <laughs> um,
1: uh, like all of it. <laughs> uh, like this is I. I want to see his work with character. I want to see. Um, I want to see how he's how he's Im- like. The big thing for me is I want to see how he's improved because Worm is a thing that he did. Is it has it been three years removed now? More maybe. I-
0: I don't keep good track of numbers, but yeah, it feels like that's the first it might have ended. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but this is the first big thing he worked on. And we're jumping we're we're for now, skipping the two things he worked on between Worm and Ward. So I feel like 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 the time skip, I'm going to get to jump from his first work to his fourth work, and I'm going to get to see how he has honed his craft since then. I'm gonna to get to see the, the steps that he's made to improve his already very good writing. So I am just very excited to see more of him and, and see and learn more about the author through the way he writes and, and, and what he has learned in this process, which I'm sure is extensive. Um, I can't imagine going through three projects as long as as Worm Pact and, and Twig without, you know, really honing your craft. Moving into this, so that's what I'm very excited to see.
0: Yeah, I look forward to learning honestly because, like, I f- how to say this. I feel like I can identify what Wildbo is doing throughout Worm. Yeah, almost all the time. In Twig, which I have read, sometimes I am in awe of something and I can't necessarily explain why exactly and that's the kind of thing where i'm like okay well now i need to study this so i can understand that because i can't stand for there to be an aspect of writing technique that i just don't understand <laughs> um and, I, and i'm sure we're gonna see that in, in ward
1: yeah i think that's one of the, the the things that i loved about this project so much is i think we learned as much as everyone else did um,
0: mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah uh, next question another from enamordi uh Scott, are you planning to read rig- to read uh, Twig and or Pact on your own? Yes. Yeah, and, and I haven't read <laughs> Pact, and I, I, the only reason I haven't read it is I'm just like thinking like maybe we'll do some kind of project with it, but like that, that's not a plan. That's a <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Be yeah. what you say. That's that's um. a question mark of, of like of like that's just that's just the reason I haven't read it. That's not a, a plan. Yeah. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Um. <laughs> another from E&M or D can we comment that can we can we recommend other other things other media that people might like um all all books <laughs> yeah no our um book club. <laughs> yeah uh
1: so yeah I don't like I don't know we don't advertise it too much on here but uh we do a book club every month where we read a, a, a book chosen by our patrons and we've read Stephen King we've read Tana French we've read um Neil Gaiman um Am I
0: slash Terry Pratchett? Yeah. Slash Terry yeah.
1: Pratchett. Um, I love books. <laughs> the The thing that I'm realizing is I'm going, I think I've said this on a mailbag before, but I'm going through a book of like the one the book of great books. That's going back and, and talking about all the classics. So I'm going back and going through classic literature. And if you haven't read some of the classics since you were forced to in high school, I really recommend you go back and do that. Like really spend some time, like go read Dickens, like seriously sit down with Charles Dickens and, and really pick apart his, his books because he's, he's brilliant. He really is brilliant. And like, if if you, if you love reading, but you haven't really touched all that classic stuff that they made you read in high school, like do it. Like there's a reason why these books are still read today. And it's not just to torture you in your English class. Like, The the themes and and the things that these people work with, it's so beautiful and wonderful and powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Reading classics to me is is like meditation where I know I should do it and then when I do it, I enjoy the hell out of it. But it sounds so boring in the abstract (laughs) that I never get around to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Understandable. Yeah, that's I, I so in terms of specific things, I think I probably like have already recommended a lot of my like favorite things here and there, and maybe even on on like one of the last mailbags. Um but like I, I'm a big fan of Neil Stevenson and, and everything Neil Stevenson has ever written. Uh I think literally everything Neil Stevenson has ever written. Uh I, I really enjoy Blind and the sequel Ecopraxia by Peter Watts. Those are like two of my favorite science fiction, um, things in particular Blindsight, I think is one where like, if you, if you enjoy this idea of, of picking apart the themes of a story, Blindsight is a story where the characters, the story, the internal and ex- external drama and sort of the antagonist, if you will, are all thematically resonant in a way that is extremely satisfying. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's like, why that story is satisfying to me and why I can't shut up about it ever. (laughs) Um, You know, there's, I don't get to see a lot of new movies, so unfortunately I can't really recommend movies. Um, But But you
1: can listen to the daily planet podcast where we talk about all the new movies. Um, There's a plug. Also um, we should plug our Kryptonian collection because those are, are some of the movies we love because that's a list of, the best movies ever that we're slowly compiling um, that will probably never end. But yeah. um, check that out on our, on our website and you'll see a list of, I think there's 10 in the, the collection right now. Um, that's a really great list of, of films that we think you'll like. So,
0: Yeah. You know, and it's funny that kind of reminds me of this idea of reading the classics because a lot of those are movies that I never would have seen. Like, like, right. uh, like I probably never would have seen Audition. I don't think I ever would have made myself watch Videodrome. Yeah. Um yeah. unless I was forced to. But, but having watched <laughs> it, I'm like, yeah, I I get it. Like this was kind of in kind of like I get why this was important and why people talk about this movie. So Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um Yeah, this is interesting. So oh yeah, uh question from Remnet. Would we consider playing Weaver Dice? Yes. Yeah, I mean I'm not sure that that's not a plan or a promise, but uh that does sound really fun.
1: Yeah, there is um One of the things that I think is going to be cool about We've Got Ward is the week-to-week time strain on us is going to be a lot lower than it is, which allows us to do a lot more things. Like, we did the fun Fugly Bob commercials, and then we just got so freaking busy that we could never do them again, and... Fun stuff like that, fun stuff like having bonus episodes where we play some Weaver Dice is stuff that I can see happening in the future. Um, now that, now that the, the level of reading and analyzing we have to do week to week is much lower. Um, I, I, those are things I definitely want to do in the future. So we are, yeah. we are thinking about those. We are thinking about having more interviews and, and more guests and that kind of thing as well. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, we're we're thinking about all these things. We want to do a lot with this show, and we think we're going to have the bandwidth to do it, and we're really excited about that.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, From Proudly Arrogant, what character, personality, or archetype would you most like to see written in Wildbo's style?
1: Oh, boy. Um,
0: That's tough. Do you got one? No, not not really like that. (laughs) This is one of those questions where I'm almost – I'm
1: overwhelmed with options almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I almost just want to like read it so that other like so the listeners can just be like, Oh, that is a good question. Right. And then think about it because I, like you said, I just kind of like start paging through my favorite characters and thinking like how would Wildbo take, take on that, you know, specific archetype.
1: Well, and one of the cool Um, things about worm is that it's so wide that a lot of the archetypes that I like are already covered. Yeah. Um, that, that right. uh, like not not saying there's nothing else he could do but like uh, there's a lot there's a lot in there there's a lot of very unique types of characters right like, there's there's not a lot of overlap in characters in this story like we we compared a lot of people to taylor thematically but the characters themselves are fundamentally different like alexandria and taylor have a lot in common in how they approached problems and the decisions they made but they come from completely different areas to get to those decisions
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I agree. Like it sort of, sort of transcends, uh, archetype, um, the the way he tends to do it. Not, not that it doesn't fall within an archetype, but it's always just like, okay, but how would a real person instantiate this?
1: That being said, I would really like to see a first person point of view of the, the classic kind of, uh, hero archetype. Um, like the, the, I'm repeating myself, but like the golem type or like the, the, the seeing really not just seeing the mind of, but seeing through the eyes of what a really good, like classical good person, like your golem, your, your chevalier type, like how they see this world and how they, how they go on with the terribleness that's around them. I think that would yeah. be fun to see.
0: I was, I was thinking along similar lines, honestly. I wasn't sure how to phrase it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So final uh, question, but remember to stay tuned until the end of the episode. Yes. Uh, from the words hello world <laughs> to backwards.
1: Oh, I didn't even notice that. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: thinking of our own kids or theoretical future kids, will you recommend this book to them? And if so, at what age?
1: I will let the person with children go first on this one go ahead Matt uh,
0: yeah I mean I definitely will um, at, at what age I think that's gonna depend on, on a lot of um, you know a lot on the kid on yeah. specific specific kid like like I I was more than up to reading like long complex novels when I was like twelve but there's like the violent subject matter in worm is a bit a bit on the high side, but like on the other hand, I also watched plenty of violent movies when I was like 12. (laughs) So, so I I don't want to just say like 12, but like, that's, I think, I think kids can handle things, you know, especially in this day and age. I, I agree with you.
1: Um, the, I don't have any children, but the answer is, yeah, I want them to read this, especially as teenagers, because I think there's a lot of important things that this book says about, uh, bullying. I mean, just, just on the surface level, This is a book about bullying and trauma and and how the things you do to people ripple out and affect everything. And I think that's an important lesson for kids, um, especially as they get into their teens. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, And, yeah, I I agree with you that we we sometimes sell our kids pretty short. Like, they can handle stuff we don't think that they can. I saw Aliens when I was seven, (laughs) and I'm doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. And, Um, you know, I'm probably going to come back and laugh myself for saying this in in like 10 years (laughs) but um like if i had something like this podcast in like about a book that i liked when i was a teenager instead Mm -hmm. of like what i actually had in my english classes i think my develop my like development as a literary human being would have been accelerated by like 20 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah,
1: it really is amazing thinking back to English and, and how much I loved reading the books and how much I hated going to class where we got to talk about the books considering that's what we do now. But I just think that that conversation was so structured and controlled and really didn't leave room for analysis. Like, like I just remember like multiple choice questions about a novel I'm like, what are we, what are we doing here?
0: Yeah. Right. I, yeah. it's one of my favorite things to rant about, honestly. So yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> restrain myself. Um, but yeah, that's, that was the, thank you for, for all your, your great questions. I, I think we probably got to more questions than we usually do. Oh yeah. This, uh,
1: usually our, our, um, episodes, our mailbag episodes are shorter and this one is going to be long.
0: Yeah. But it's cause yeah, we I don't want to leave. We didn't want to. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to answer all those. Yeah, that's it. That's worm. We're done. Um, I
1: guess I guess you can reach out to us if you want to if you want to talk to us. Um, <laughs> at gotwormpod at gmail dot com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. Um, I guess we should say that. The uh, the email contact and the Twitter contact are not going to change. Uh, neither yeah. is the feed. We're not going to create. A We've got Ward feed. We're just going to upload them. So if you're subscribed, you just st- nothing will change from your perspective. It'll all come. You can reach us at the same place. Um, we'll reach you at the same place. N- we're not going to shake up any of that stuff. Um, yes, yeah. we, sh- we should have said that earlier. But yeah, um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Scott eighty five. Matts is at More I will say that right on the final episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. And if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts.
1: As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at DailyPlanetFilms.com. This week over on the main channel, um, I think it will come out Thursday. We had to move our schedule around a little bit this week because of New Year's, but, um, we're gonna be discussing some of our favorite films of the year. Uh, co-host Michael Grubb will be there, as well as my uh, fantastic wife will be making a return, um, to discuss some of her favorite movies of the year. We're also gonna be piloting some new shows over the next, uh, couple weeks. Um, one should be, one might already be out by the time you're listening to this, but so check out, check out our, the main Daily Planet a podcast feed and uh and and tune in to to try some of those new shows we want feedback on those new shows we're basically i don't know if you guys know how amazon does their pilot season but we're basically trying to do the same thing where we uh we make one and then ask you to tell us if you like it or not and if you like it enough we'll make more um so please do that
0: yeah i'm I'm working on the new show too and also as soon as i get internet i'll be resuming so-called writers yeah you
1: maybe have noticed that matt's uh sound quality has not been up to our usual standards it's because matt has been how long has it been matt has it been over a month without it's been over
0: over a month i think maybe i like stayed an extra day in the hotel just so that i could use the internet (laughs) and that was like the last time that i had proper sound quality yeah
1: yeah so that yeah uh, we'll get there um as, as Matt gets situated Shows will return um, New shows will come We ask you to give them a shot And give us feedback We love feedback Please let us know what you think Let us know If you think we can do better Let us know We we can take it
0: Yeah Yeah um, Yeah And if you like any of our shows And want to support them Consider donating to our Patreon account Patreon.com Slash Daily Planet Films Yeah Consider donating a dollar a month Or whatever else you can afford Special thanks this week Two new planeteers, Rain at the $4 level. Hey, we know him. Hey, we,
1: we do. We do know. Him.
0: Uh, Oscar at the $1 level, David at the $1 level, Try at the $1 level, and uh, Jess at the $1 level. And Kryptonian, the man who was at the $20 level, who asked us to give an extra special thanks to Andrew O. Thanks. So, yeah, thank you very much, all of you, uh, including Andrew O. And we we really appreciate it, uh, and and all of our patrons patrons who have made this possible and and motivated us and made it possible for us to do cool stuff like the fan art contest. Uh, it wouldn't be the same without you guys. No. Yeah. And 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 also speaking of Patreon, make sure you stop by Wildbo's page and toss some money there because he's the guy that is going to be making Ward possible.
1: Yeah. And, and and if you can't afford to pledge right now or just waiting to see how much we screw up the new show format and we've got Ward, um, you can still help us out by heading over to iTunes and, and leave us a rating and review. Um, this week, we have two new reviews, Matt, and they're the two final reviews we'll, we'll have on this podcast before we switch over and everyone starts telling us how much better they liked the old show than the new one. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I, I, I hope. I hope. Um, <laughs> Uh, the first review comes from Ark Zidia, who gives us five stars and says, um, Matt and Scott take us step by step through the wonderful and traumatizing story that is Worm. This podcast has helped me see the minor details in writing and character development that I overlooked on my first read through. I love Wildbow's writing and We've Got Worm has made it easy for me to explain to my friends why the story is so well done. If I had to sum up how I feel about this podcast in three words, it would be, I love this. <laughs> Thank you. Um th- I love this meme I guess that our show has has taken on. Um it's something I did not expect because I had no idea that I did that until until people started listening to us talk every day, every week, it's... I mean. And then now I catch myself saying it all the time and I'm like, oh, damn it.
0: <laughs> but it's such a wonderful like positive catchphrase. It know? is.
1: Like I want Daily Planet Productions our catchphrase to be i love this because i yeah. want to be positive i want like there is so much negativity in this world there's so much negative criticism of the things that we like the entertainment that we like that i want us to be a beacon of positivity because i love stories i love yeah. stories in every shape and form and i'm glad that that comes through in this podcast
0: right We we like liking things yeah And I think everyone else does too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes it's very easy to be negative. Um, I think it's sometimes harder to be positive. And that's what we want, we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we have another five star review from Dr. Michael Train. A doctor, Matt. Mm. A doctor gives us five stars and says, I was a slow adopter of this podcast due to the two plus hour length of each episode. Yeah. Sorry (laughs) about that. (laughs) How would they keep it interesting? I don't know. Um So I only listened when they got to an arc I particularly loved. I love to hate blank slates. And that was that. I listened to the back episodes and even found myself finding excuses to go on long drives to finish each week's pod before the next one came out. I devoured worm in a four-month block of feverish reading, and I loved it. And I had all these thoughts, but none of my friends had ever heard of it to my chagrin. I love that I found this podcast where I can live vicariously through Scott as he goes through all the great heartbreaking and downright staggering moments in this great story. Um that was great. <laughs> um I I completely agree with you except for the driving thing. I hate driving. So I would never go on a long drive. <laughs> I just like lock myself in my office with headphones on and listen to podcasts for way too long. Um but thank you guys so much. Thanks for all the reviews. We've got 50 plus reviews during the course of this this uh, podcast on iTunes and that's just on the the American store. We've got reviews um on all the international iTunes things as well so thank you guys for doing that like it really does help and and please keep it up through ward um i think it's really going to help us get exposure and we really do appreciate it
0: yeah um it's it's been amazing i i, I don't think either of us ever expected to get this kind of feedback uh no. and, and it makes it so worth it yeah all right scott it's time
1: but no uh, matter I- I want it to end.
0: Well, fortunately for you then, we have one final question. Oh good. From from Luger or <laughs> EOger? EOger?
1: Uh, yeah. From I that just person. want to know
0: if how uh, I just want to know if and how Worm and this podcast have changed your lives. Um,
1: <laughs> so yeah, this I think we saved this for the end because I just want to take We're, we're two hours and 40 minutes into this podcast. So I just want to take like 20 minutes (laughs) to thank every single one of you guys listening. Um, this year, like we started this in March and this year has been crazy. Like it's, it's weird to say because for a lot of the world, 2017 was such a shit show, but like I had like the best year of my life. Um, and A lot of that is because of you guys and because of this project and because of the interaction and the friendships and, uh, the, the learning I've done through this thing. Um, this was, it was so much work, but it is work that I am so proud of. I'm so proud of what we did here. I'm so happy it resonated with you guys. I'm so happy I got to read this story. I like we, we, this has fundamentally changed our lives, like in huge ways we are we yeah. are doing this at like we we are we we are producing <laughs> like content and you a lot of you guys are supporting us and we are like shifting I'm shifting more and more of my time to doing this, and this is something I want to keep doing and i, I like sorry, I'll let you talk Matt, but I just i am i am blown away by the response to this guys I'm blown away by you like this community you guys have welcomed us with open arms and Thank you, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and don't you know, don't stop if, if if you have more to say, Scott. But but I I would I would say that um I feel incredibly fortunate to have something every day, no matter what's going on in my life, that I am excited about as much as I am about this project. Whatever I'm doing, whether it's what whether I I'm working on doing the synopsis and I'm. And I'm solving, you know, a complicated mental problem that's engaging my faculties of like, how am I going to translate? How am I going to distill what's important about this? Uh, you know, which is really, it's so satisfying to be able to use your mind to, to, to the fullest, you know, and it, whether it's that part or whether it's doing the actual recording session with you, which is always fun, even when we're up past midnight doing it, <laughs> or whether whether it's releasing the episode and, and interacting with all you guys on, on Reddit or on the discord, um, or, or man, even the, 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 the handful of incidents where I've I've met people in real life who, who have, have have, have familiar with the podcast and get, get the feeling of being an extremely minor celebrity for the first time (laughs) in my life, which is not something I ever expected to come of the worm podcast. (laughs) you
1: know? Yeah. Um This, like, I, I, we, we both have full-time jobs that we're still doing and I do not love my job. Um, the, the stuff I do has never been something I was like particularly proud of. It's just like something I needed to do to make money. Um So it is, it has been a rare experience in my life where I've been able to look at something that I've made and been really proud of it. And, I am so proud of what we did here and I'm so thankful for all of you for, for, for helping us along that way. Like you guys are so key to all this. This would just be me and Matt talking to each other for three hours a week. And it's all, it's like, this is all because of you guys. And I am, I'm so floored and thrilled. And I, I, I never want to stop doing this. Like I never want to stop. I want to do this. I want to be able to do this full time. I want to be able to, to take this, this thing that Matt and I have made and and take over the world. And yeah. I think, I think we have an opportunity to teach people and learn ourselves. And like that, that, that positivity we were talking about before, that spreading the positivity. I, I want to, I want to do that because stories are awesome and stories are important. And like, I love them so much. And I just, this is. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm droning on because I don't want this to end, but this has been the experience of a lifetime for me. And Matt, like, thank you. Thank you so much for this because guys, Matt is the unsung hero of this thing. I think because as much work as I put into this thing, I think Matt put in double because he's gotta, he's gotta parse through all these words and find the ones to pull out without hinting or spoiling things. And he's gotta, like, deal with me with a straight face when i just start like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks and like you've been awesome throughout this whole thing and like this would not be half of what it was without you so thanks man
0: well, I, I appreciate that and and what what's funny is like i i just feel gratitude toward you because like like so so thank you for being like game to do this because man like just who who has a friend who is open to going on such like an open-ended uncertain adventure, you know, with no, with no net, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, uh, it's when we started this, we, we didn't, we didn't know what it was going to be.
1: We had no idea. Like we had, we had no idea. And we, we stumbled into the format. We stumbled into everything and we were just, we had what we thought was a good idea and a couple of microphones. And yeah, I'm yeah it's I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm yeah, so happy. And,
0: and and I can't, you know, I can't finish this without thanking Wildbow um because like I I on some level like it's, so so most of what we've said so far has been like how did the podcast affect our lives? But like Worm just like kind of blew me away and I actually I didn't kind of blew me away. Like it, it completely blew me away and, and it got me writing again, like in a serious way, not nothing that I've, I've released. And that doesn't matter to me though. Like the, that doesn't matter at all to me. What matters to me is that this so inspired me, like not only worm, but the story of how wild wrote it and how he like carved out this existence for himself, um, got me writing again. And that's like, that's, that's a huge thing for me. Like that's, like a really emotional thing for me to to, to to say and so like thank you for making this story and thank you for like inspiring me while though and, and letting us do this in the first place you know
1: yeah and like being game with it and interacting with it and like I, I will never forget the first time like I think it was like 5 o'clock in the evening and I was on my way home from work and like, happened to refresh the Reddit thread, and I was like, holy shit, Matt, Wildbo just wrote about our podcast. He's listening to our podcast. And just like this moment of like, oh shit, like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, and yeah. like, but like that interactivity was so great. Like, it was so fun getting to talk about a work and then getting to interact with the creator of that work. Um, and, and like, it's, we, I think it's a testament to how good the writing is that you, you feel like you know him a little bit through his writing. Like, like, I, I've obviously never met this guy. I, I, I don't, I don't know who he is really, but I, I know kind of what he is, if that makes sense. Um, through like the stories he chooses to tell. And I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I echo that sentiment. Thank you, Wild, both so much. Thank you for creating this thing. Like this, this thing is, is, complex and beautiful. And the themes in it, I think are so important. Um, the, the, like the idea that like, we, we are all suffering from something and we are all going through trauma and we are all, um, trying to find our place in this really cruel, unfair, tough world where people are mean to each other for no reason, sometimes just no reason. And, how how do you navigate this? And how do you find a place to where you can be okay? And even, even as you make mistakes and make bad decisions and hurt yourself and hurt others. And I think that's such an important thing, especially in, in our modern day world to, to to have a story that looks into that without holding back.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Anyway,
1: (laughs) I guess we should end the podcast now.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Just, I'm, my heart is full of gratitude for all of you yeah that's that was Worm and join us next week for episode one of We've Got Ward covering the prologue Glowworm. but for now that's a wrap on We've Got Worm bye bye so many emotions. I know, I know.